set. Places, everybody. And action. Hi guys, you're listening to Black Girl Film Club, a podcast where two Black women discuss movies. I'm Brittany. And I'm Ashley. And today we have an in-the-studio edition of Black Girl Film Club. We're here with Mariah E. Gates, and we're here to discuss Mississippi Masala from 1991. So for these episodes, we kind of do a little something different where we kind of do a little free form. Yeah, I mean, in the spirit of James Lipton, <laughs> just want to ask you, like, I mean, obviously we know who you are, because um, I actually remember you from Tumblr oh, no. way back in the day because <laughs> you go by old film slicker yeah, and I would I see that Tumblr. name. Yeah, I would I see that name pop Tumblr, up. I haven't left Tumblr, to be honest. I was just on Tumblr this morning. I oh, go on see? every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good for finding um, like new movies or movies that I haven't seen because, yeah, you know, the gift makers the are still there. The still there. The, the gift makers are a strong tribe of people. There is always a gif i know a movie like a streaming movie is gonna do well if mm-hmm. people are gifting the trailers on tumblr uh yeah you can really <laughs> tell which streaming movies have hit like people know they exist and they don't know they exist by if the trailer has been gift on tumblr exactly i've been telling that to i used to work at netflix and i told that to the marketers there they didn't believe me the numbers mm. correlate it's true <laughs> It's how I find stuff all the time. And it's how we end up doing um, It Happened One Night a couple, I guess like last month, maybe? It's been so, we we, we (laughs) pre-record. So it was like, sometimes I'm like, when did we record that episode? But yeah, I saw that, um, I saw the gift set and I was like, wait a minute, this is a, we need to keep that in our back pocket for a couple of weeks from now. And we ended up doing the movie. So that was really helpful. But um, for people who don't know you uh, or might be unfamiliar with your work, can mm-hmm. tell us who you are and like what you do. Sure. Um, that's, a, that's a long journey. Um, <laughs> I um, I guess now I'm a film critic and interview person. That's the, the bulk of what I, I do professionally. But um, as you mentioned, I started out as just a fan of film on Tumblr. Um, you know, I, I wrote occasionally not paid because this was you know 10 15 years ago and like websites did not pay um but i covered film festivals and stuff for which was almost payment when you're you know 23 you're like sure i'll go do this for free if i get to see the the films um and then i went to film school for two years and during that got recruited by warner brothers to run the warner archive instant Tumblr and Twitter instant. That was like Warner Brothers' first streaming service. It was mostly classics, but not the classics you mentioned. It's wonderful. Not, it's wonderful life. Um, uh, it happened one night. Not the not that kind of classic films. These were like <laughs> the like B and C level Clark Gable movies and Warner and uh, Humphrey Bogart movies that you've never heard of. But right. maybe you've watched the like top level Humphrey, and now you're like ready for <laughs> these like 1934 movies. Um, so my job was to try to make like young people interested. Um, that was fun. And then (laughs) they ran out of money. So I ended up moving over to Rotten Tomatoes, which at the time was owned by Warner brothers. And I was actually their first social media person. So if you remember any, like when you, I think it was 2013, 2014, if anyone was paying attention, it went from like only tomato meter scores to like having a personality. 
Um, but then they bought, were bought by Fandango and uh, they did not retain me as a Warner Brothers employee because of the way corporate structures work. Uh, but literally on the same day that that happened, Turner Classic Movies, also owned by Warner Brothers, hired me. So <laughs> I kept shifting. Um, and I worked at Turner Classic Movies and Filmstruck for three years. Turner Classic Movies, obviously the cable channel that shows classic movies, mixture of really great classic movies and the same kind of B movies, C movies. Filmstruck was a streaming service that partnered between TCM and the Criterion Channel, or Criterion, now they're the Criterion Channel. Um, so it was like art house, international stuff. That was fun. If you ever seen a Filmstruck GIF floating around on the internet, I made all of those. <laughs> Half of them have been rebranded with TCM logos, but they I made them also. Um, so that was a fun three years. Then Filmstruck got closed because Warner Brothers was bought by, the first time they were bought by AT&T, and <laughs> they closed Filmstruck. And um, that's how I got poached by Netflix. And I worked at Netflix for two years, marketing um, pretty much every single film that they released for an 18-month period was me, except for the last maybe six months during 2020 when they finally hired a few other people. So um, all the all the social media for like The Irishman and um, Marriage Story and I don't like it was like 150 movies. Uh, if you ever saw anything like on the Netflix film Twitter or Instagram, that was me and uh, some writers that I um, managed for 18 months and it was very stressful. And, and basically during quarantine, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I quit and shifted to where I am now, which is mostly focusing on female directors, which was what I always really loved anyways, like classic film and female directors. And especially when that uh, coincides, because there are a lot more, there were a lot more women making films globally from the start of cinema than most people tend to remember anymore. So one of my goals is to just remind people that like they made movies <laughs> always. Yeah, right. Um, and um that was a, like a wild decade of taking kind of what I was doing on Tumblr. If you were my Tumblr was all a mixture of all that stuff anyways, <laughs> um, and getting corporations to pay me to do it. Um, which, which if you can, if you can get corporations to like trust you, it, that's great. But corporations will always eventually get bought by somebody and stop trusting you. That's what I learned. Um, so I haven't gone back to any like real jobs in, I guess, I guess two years now, because so far, I'm still paying bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and doing more work that I truly love rather than like one for me, one for them kind of work. Um, well, that's that's me and like as whittled down as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool because I know that um, when I would see your Tumblr, I would usually just associate it with classic film. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of helps because like when I saw you again, I think it was like when you were working for Filmstruck and I was like, oh, shoot, I know that. I know that name. I remember that name. And so, um, like, we were both big fans of Filmstruck when it was first, um, like, I guess, announced. And I feel like I had a Filmstruck uh, membership for all of, like, maybe six Aww. months before they closed it. And then we were both, because I feel like we both watched um, Chungking Express, I think. Oh, yeah. That was, that was the, the big title that we were like, we got it. Yeah, <laughs> that was the one. And that was, I think, another movie that I had seen, like, on Tumblr. And I was like, why can't I find this movie? anywhere so yeah. then they, they closed it we were both heartbroken <laughs> and thankfully they have the like criterion channel now but for a while i was like oh, there's no movies <laughs> yeah criterion, criterion channel has really thankfully 
kept a lot of what Filmstruck was great about Filmstruck. They've kept the old Hollywood, um, which wasn't really their wheelhouse, but they make sure they keep it. They've kept adding um, female directors. They've definitely done a great job of of unearthing um, unheralded black directors from all across the globe. Uh, Ashley Clark, the curatorial director there, does a really great job of like minimum getting lots of short films from contemporary black directors, from black directors from the past, um, African cinema. Like I've definitely watched more African cinema since Ashley got hired at Criterion than I have in the whole rest of my life because he actually was like, hey, this is good stuff. And I, we can, I can get it for you cheap, I think is what he does. Because <laughs> um, I think some of it was available on places like Ovid. And I love Ovid, but like, have you heard of Ovid? No one has heard of Ovid. Like, <laughs> Ovid is I've like, no, like, like librarians know Ovid. Um, so I'm glad he pulls some of that stuff, you know, out so that people who actually, I mean, Criterion is quote unquote niche, but it's, less niche than something like Ovid so he's able to really get people who maybe it's even too niche on their radar Mm -hmm. which I I really appreciate yeah Um, I think like the last probably few years of the pod because we're in our fifth year now I feel like congratulations thank you that's amazing (laughs) I love that thank you so much it's been a journey (laughs) yes (laughs) I feel like in the last few years we've been doing more older movies Mm -hmm. before we had very like specific like Britney was mostly horror and I was kind of more like indie drama but we kind of have been stretching ourselves um partially just for our own personal interest but also just I feel like because we're talking to like a specific audience Mm -hmm. I feel that I feel like it's important to be like no there are cool movies that you can watch from before the 1970s or 80s or whatever and Mm -hmm. they're really fun like I feel like my favorite episode still is um uh what's the Hitchcock one we watched Brittany (laughs) Strangers Uh, Strangers on a Train oh I love that movie (laughs) that's a great movie I feel like that's one of our like most fun episodes because we made it like kind of contemporary like in our discussion, it felt contemporary, even though like, yeah. I talked to my friends and like, why would you watch a black and white movie? And I was like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> They're great. They're dramatic. Uh, there's always something chaotic happening and it's fun to watch. So I feel like- There's a lot of classic films that are far more interesting than I think people give them credit for. Right. Because yeah, there really is like this idea, oh, it's old. Oh, it's in black and white. Oh, it's gonna be boring. And it's like, actually, like I love the silent era. It was really my favorite. And the silent era really was like, there was no rules. You will, there are things that happen in silent films where you're like, were they allowed to do this? But they, they were allowed to do anything. There was no, there was no regulation. So they just do really wild and crazy things in that era. Yeah. It's fun. And a lot of camera movements that um, they just don't do anymore. Like that's, that's part of why I like watching classic era movies like Hitchcock in particular, somebody who he, he didn't, he didn't try for realism. He knew you were watching a movie. He wanted you to know you were watching a movie and he would do crazy camera tricks. And you're like, this is great. I want to, I want more of this. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think we like lost our minds over that carousel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that sequence. <laughs> we were both like, what is happening? Is this legal? And we're so happy that it's like a toy or something. But yeah. uh, at the time we're like, he put this old man under this carousel. How is that legal? <laughs> Did the man not care? He just take amazing. a drink, take a sip of whiskey and said, all right, see you guys. 
<laughs> like we had a lot of fun watching that movie. And so I hope that um Have you seen Kiss of Death? I haven't. Brittany, have you seen that movie? I haven't. With with Richard Woodmark. I recommend it's a noir film that does some things where you're like, are they allowed are you allowed to do this to characters? I recommend it. <laughs> Don't read anything. Just go in blind. I think you will enjoy at least Richard Widmark in it. Um, he's definitely one of those characters where like, I don't even think they'll let you make a character like this today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I have my little post-it right here. I think, you, I think, I think hearing, hearing what you liked about um, Strangers on a Train, I think you'll minimum enjoy his performance and arc. arc. We'll put quotes on that. Okay, that'll be fun. fun. And that brings up a good um, segue because we didn't even talk about how you started um, Noir Vember, which we actually did. I think Strangers on a Train and Blowout for our Noir Vember. Oh, wow. Which is Brittany's favorite. I like Strangers on a Train more than Blowout, but she was really into John I love John Travolta. So I was (laughs) like, let's do Blowout. Let's do this. Yeah, you're a De Palma fan. big De Palma fan over there John Travolta is one of those actors when he hits he really hits yeah and I don't think people give him credit for it they don't because he's he does like some of his movies aren't good but he's always good plus he's got you know there's the Scientology up and all which is always <laughs> a little a little difficult to swallow but um Noir Vember came out of um just a desire to watch more Noir I'd seen I don't know maybe double indemnity and Maltese Falcon and like five or six considered the greatest noir films but um at the time this is before Letterboxd before any of this like social um stuff IMDB was like my go-to list place so take that with like a grain of salt (laughs) but they had a top 50 noir of the noir era films and I'd only seen you know six or seven and I was like I'm gonna watch all 50 in a month and then I went, did it, I called it Noir November because it was November because I had just done Universal Horror in October and I was like, what can I do in November? And I was like, well, Noir starts with an N. So that, that was the, that was how that dumb pun came about. Um, but that first year, only one other person did it with me, one of my friends from Tumblr. And then um, the next year, I think I got about like three people to do it. But I just kept pushing really hard. And then now it's just like I could probably die and people would still do noir members. So <laughs> I'm really happy about that. Um, and and I, you know, I never, you know, copyrighted it or any of that stuff because I don't want to make money from it. Like I'm not a good capitalist. I just want people to watch noir. That was mm-hmm. the whole goal. And that's what's happening. So I'm grateful that um, like Criterion does, they don't call it noir member, but they do noir member every year. They call it noir november and i'm like why don't you just (laughs) everyone knows what you're doing but it's you know it is what it is but they 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 do it every year they've done it for the last i think three years i'll add a whole new slew of noir every year just because they know the people are looking for it um right the habit now it's a habit in people um and i never expected it to like become like a global thing like they had a little film festival in czechoslovakia one time or the czech republic one Mm -hmm. time um that they in a little blurb, they call me a professional cinephile. And I was like, I should have that on my business cards. <laughs> like, yeah. That should be my business uh, card. Like, official title is professional cinephile. <laughs> but, um, That's actually perfect. Because, you know, my job's always, job, actual job's always different. But uh, the root of every job I do is a professional cinephile. So that's, it tracks. But um, I'm grateful that it, it did take on and that people every year are watching so much noir because there's, 
literally thousands. I've been doing this for, I think, 12 years or 13 years. I still have a watch list that's like 10 years worth of movies. If I'm only doing like 30 movies mm-hmm. in November, it's at least 10 years more worth of movies, maybe 15. And I'll probably discover more in that 15 years. So it'll never end. Yeah. When we did our noir November block, I feel like we, we wanted to do like, um, like a classic versus like a newer one, like a new oh, yeah. And, um, we were kind of really surprised because it was like, oh yeah. Okay. Blade Runner. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like the matrix. And then there's like a bunch of other ones that kept like popping up. So I was like, oh, well, there's like way more. <laughs> just, then, yeah. The next thing you know, it, you're just, it's never yeah. ending. It's never ending watch list. Like all the movies that we know just from like growing up and hearing about them or watching them. I was like, oh, I didn't realize this was a noir. <laughs> so it, the the exploring, their exploration became like a lot bigger. I mean, we ended up picking Blowout, but definitely if we ever decide to do it again, like we and, have- And there's like lots of subgenres. I just watched yesterday, I think I saw it when it came out, but I didn't remember anything about it. So I'm counting it as a new watch, but <laughs> The Adventures of Pluto Nash, the Eddie Murphy movie. That's actually a noir. It's like a sci-fi noir comedy. Brittany, have it you seen it? It was interesting. I know of you have. Of course I've seen it. <laughs> like... Not everything works in it, but I was like, as a noir, this is pretty good. <laughs> Brittany's like our, our our resident Eddie Murphy stands. I don't even know why I asked you <laughs> if you had seen it, because I knew you had. <laughs> I've been catching up because I've seen like a lot of the kid related Eddie Murphy but there was like a ton of the more like adult movies from his early in his career that I'm like how did I miss all of this Pluto Nash is in the middle it's like not quite for kids not quite for adults but yeah Brittany's like (laughs) I'm like trying to like remember what the plot was like I did a lot of babysitting during that time. Oh, yeah, so, like, yeah, that makes sense. Any, he, any he's, like, from- uh, running a bar and mobsters, like, blow it up. And then he has to, like, track them down. And <laughs> there's, like, a femme fatale, but also shady, you know, shady, what are they called? Um, plastic surgeons and, like, all kind. It's all the stuff you'd find in, like, a Humphrey Bogart noir just on the moon <laughs> see that's why okay. i think that escaped me because i was like isn't this just like a kids movie on the moon <laughs> yeah I, I i definitely when i saw it when it came out i was probably 15 or 16 i did not get any of the noir aspects from it and i barely remembered anything of it which is if i can't remember anything let alone how it made me feel i count a rewatch as like a brand new watch because you know there's yeah. so many movies i i gotta be able to tell you like a scene for it to count right when I was younger um <laughs> it's it's not t- as terrible as I think its reputation is especially if you watch it as a noir hmm. I might have to like that's my take because that's my take I don't remember much about it other than he wears <laughs> like a suit like he's wearing like a yeah. traditional like he wears a really man's suit. noir suit oh yeah. Like, that's all I really remember. And maybe Rosario Dawson is in it? She is, yeah. She's sort of the the sidekick. (laughs) She's like the Veronica Lake kind of character where she's not really a femme fatale. She's um, his buddy kind of, but she's just like a singer trying to get home kind of thing. You really, there really are a lot of elements in there that I'm like, I see what you were doing. I don't know that any of it works, but I also appreciate what you were trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, we see that, like, you absolutely love film as much as we do. So what do you consider movies that shaped your love of film? 
Oh, wow. That's a, that's a lovely question. I love that. Um, when I was a kid, my parents always played movies. Like my parents grew up in Los Angeles. They were movie crazy people, um, in the like fifties and sixties. So I don't remember a time without, without movies. Like we were definitely a movie household. Um, but one of my earliest movies I love was It's a Wonderful Life. We, we, my dad got that on a really janky clamshell VHS when I was about seven. And we, we were one of those families that watched it every year on Christmas Eve. So I've probably seen that movie 30, minimum 30 times. But some years I watched it a couple times. So minimum 30 times. Um, and it's just, Jimmy Stewart is so good in that. And Donna Reed is like very self-possessed you know, equal to him, which I think is an important, um, like a lot of classic films, like the women treated great. Right. But Donna Reed was one of those actresses that insisted on like being an equal in her movies. And uh, so I'm glad that was one of the first ones that I loved because I think it didn't, you know, it set me up for success as like a riot girl, nineties girl kind of thing. Um, but the first movie that really like made me think, deeper about movies was uh Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line I, mm. I saw that when I was I think thir 13 or 14 and so I always watched like a ton of movies I was that kid with like where I would watch a movie like 60 times kind of things <laughs> you know there's always those memes that are like what's a movie you've seen 10 times and I'm like what I think it's more like what's a movie you've seen 100 times okay yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I understand what was the point of having a VHF VHS if you didn't watch it a hundred times like what are you doing um <laughs> but the thin red line was the first movie that I saw it and I was like oh <laughs> like movies can be more than just entertainment they can be you know philosophical and almost like visual poetry and and, and the cast doesn't have to like you can have this huge cast but you don't have to have whole arcs for everybody because that's not really the point um so that that was a beautiful movie to see and I had rented it because I was in a George Clooney phase and I literally just wanted to see George Clooney being hot and he's only in it for like two minutes oh so it was like one of those accidental like wow my brain just ex you know expanded but all I was trying to do was watch George Clooney um that's a movie that really shaped me and the movie that sort of made me start questioning like my blind spots in terms of women in film was actually about 10 years ago. It's called The Punk Singer. It's about Kathleen mm -hmm. Hanna, the what's it, Bikini Kill lead singer. Mm -hmm. And it's all, it's really is about like Riot Girl and how Riot Girl kind of came out of questioning like where are women in punk and why why aren't there safe spaces for women at concerts? And, and then a lot of just what Riot Girl feminism and third wave feminism and all of that that was happening and it does a really great way of talking about like intersectional feminism and the way that wet red girl wasn't very good with race and and like it really is a, an interesting film that makes you think about a lot of things that I never took like gender studies classes in, in university and I'm sure if I had I wouldn't have needed this movie to like get me there but the movie was like a like a gender studies 101 kind of thing um and I was like damn did I like did I read any books directed by or written by women when in my lit degree? Like, did I maybe one Virginia Woolf, right? And then, then it made me start thinking about like, well, how many films directed by women have I actually seen? Like, I knew I'd seen Little Women, the, the Winona Ryder one. I always knew that was directed by a woman, and then Nancy Myers and Nora Ephron. But beyond that, I was like, 
how many films by women have I actually seen? And then I started looking at that and I was like, oh, these numbers are bad. Um, and then I've always bought that, that there wasn't that many, you know, it was always like, oh, there's Ida Lupino and there's Catherine Bigelow and Nora Ephron and we're out. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's, that's a damn lie. <laughs> the more, <laughs> the more I delved into it, the more I was like, wait a minute, there's like been hundreds of female directors always, almost always. There was like, a, I think the sixties, fifties, sixties was like the hardest decade at least in America but other than that there were you if you go through through the like history of, of world cinema there's there were always women at least one or two women working until you hit the 80s and then you really started to see a lot more why weren't we talking about these women I've been in film school didn't know about any of these women other than I think I discovered like Lena Wertmuller and Daughters of the Dust in film school and that was about that was about it like Julie Dash Lena Wertmuller that's it <laughs> and I'm like yeah. okay no, there's yeah. no more than that. Um, and that's, so that's when like my brain just went, and I haven't gone back since. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think we've mentioned that you did your, your year with a year with women, a year with women uh, film challenge where you only watched uh, movies directed by women, which is a great, every, if you haven't done a film challenge, listeners do a film challenge. It helps. I haven't it done really one does. in a really long time, but once you like restrict yourself to like, I'm only going to do this type of movie, you find so many. And I feel mm -hmm. like there's like, when you were saying like, oh, there's only this type of, like we buy into the idea that, idea that there's only this type of movie directed by this type of person. And I'm always like, it's not true. The more you watch, the more, you know, that is completely false. Um, lately, I've been watching a lot of like 90s black classics, basically for, for lack of a better phrase not, not not in any one genre obviously right but I just missed a lot of like comedy that is great a lot of dramas I still haven't gotten caught up on things like Menace to Society and some of those that we could watch action movies but only if it was like a Van Damme action movie kind of household I missed out <laughs> I missed out on a lot of things and I've been um really enjoying like the Eddie Murphy going through all the Eddie Murphy movies that I missed from the 90s that weren't like the Nutty Professor fantastic I, mm -hmm. I I was really I was like wow this man was a really good actor <laughs> like what is that what why was he like so yeah. good right and um I watched all the Spike movies that I'd missed I think I'd only seen maybe a third of his filmography so uh, I watched all of I've seen them all now and I was like why is Spike not treated like Scorsese like what this man is one of the top five working best working directors period like but he never gets the budgets. I got to work on The Five Bloods, which I was great because I really enjoyed that film. And it was great to actually um, make sure there was, <laughs> there was some like quality stuff being done for that movie. But um, that's that's another story. Um, but it, it's been fun to like really do deep dives on um, on filmmakers, like watching 20 Spike movies in a two week period was very revelatory because you can see how he builds on himself and same with Eddie you can see how how his career started and then how he built on that and then I've been reading like a ton of reviews of his of his early movies these critics are so awful in the way they write about him that I'm yeah like, it was fascinating to see like a lot of the a lot of his films from the 90s have like these really low Rotten Tomato scores but if you go look at the rotten reviews they're all so racist that I don't think they should count yeah, and that that's been very relevatory of like the way that a movie has a reputation based on when it was released but what, what 
you don't we don't always think like well who was who was making that reputation who was writing about this film what was their background yeah. if you don't think if you don't think that deeply then it's like oh that's just a bad movie because it's got six percent or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah we don't really I guess on here we don't really follow the the tomato score the that's tomato good it, I think it has <laughs> no. completely I didn't really know much about it till I worked there and then I saw how many people like live and breathe the tomato meter and like when I worked there there still wasn't that many women on the like on there and I, I noticed it and I was like hey and I gave them like a list I gave them a list of a hundred women who weren't tomato meter approved and I was like why aren't any of these women here like what are you doing and then like a year later is when Meryl Streep called them out for not having any women and I was like I gave you a list you could have avoided this but then eventually you know they hired somebody they created a role now they make sure that there's you know better voice but if you go back to like the 90s they're just they're just going by who was writing for newspapers right and who was writing for newspapers 30 years ago mostly old white men so right you got to take all of those reviews with a grain of salt because it's really bad basically (laughs) and a lot of films by women from that era too um like I read uh I always loved Jumpin' Jack Flash which I didn't know was directed by Penny Marshall until much later, but that was one of my favorite movies. And I always thought it was a great movie. And then I saw that it was rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, about a decade ago. And I was like, what? No, this movie is amazing. And then I started looking at reviews and there were even women who reviewed that movie were like, this is bad. Why is a woman swearing? And I'm like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Why is a woman swearing? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> like, what? That brings up a a great question, Brittany, that I know you have about the criteria of judging a movie. Oh, yeah. What is your own, like, metrics or criteria that you use for, like, when you're writing a review or judging Mm. a movie for yourself? That's a really good question. I guess I have a couple. One, like, metric one is always, I like to go by how it made me feel. So did it, did it make me laugh? Did it make me cry? did I literally feel anything or is it just one of those movies that didn't even make me feel anything? But then I also like to look at like, for back of a better word, like it's thematically what it's trying to do or if it's trying to do something thematically. So like, for example, just last week I wrote about murder mystery too. And on one level, it is a fun movie with two movie stars going to Europe getting in shenanigans right but uh, the level that I it struck me with was like we're we're in a we're in a not a depression but we're in a um economic downturn as a country right but for some reason we have all these all these movies right now about billionaires and most yeah. of them are not actually critiquing billionaires they're like look at these billionaires they're <laughs> awful people but you're hmm. they're still reveling in the billionaire lifestyle right and that this movie is one of the worst I've seen in terms of like how it presents the billionaire lifestyle as like aspirational mm. for like middle class people, and I'm like, I, no. So, <laughs> so a part of me wanted to be like, this is a fun movie, but on the other side, it's like I can't, I can't say this is a good movie when it is so clearly trying to show that like billionaires are good people. Yeah. So sometimes that'll be a level, and I've definitely gotten. Uh, pushback where people are like it's not that deep and I'm like well the thing is art is that deep (laughs) yeah as much as we like enjoy it like you still have to be 
conscious yeah. of what it's saying because I know mean, there's plenty of trash I love but also it's like what are you saying but what is it saying and, yeah. and I, I definitely have you know I don't really like guilty pleasure but there's definitely films that I've enjoyed but on a on a on a deeper level I'm like this is actually not good yeah because people I think people assume that they don't absorb that because they're not uh consciously absorbing it whereas like, I've trained myself to consciously absorb that I'm like a deep reader of films I, I that's what I had to do with books you know I have a lit degree you have to read on many levels when you're writing about a book right <laughs> and um films are exactly the same way and even if a filmmaker like does, did the filmmakers intend to be pro-billionaire no I don't think they're like hey <laughs> we want everyone <laughs> to love billionaires but they they did that is what is, the, is in the movie so then you're watching it passively but you're passively now ingraining in your own consciousness oh you know upward mobility equals trying to be a billionaire most of my reviews end up being negative because of that like I'm always reading on a social level I guess and and it's harder and harder for me to to overlook social aspects of films that you know it's like I don't know I can't I just can't turn off that part of my brain anymore and it's easier when it's an old film because like a film from 1934 it's like it already did the damage it's gonna do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I much rather watch a problematic film from the '30s because I know that most of the people that it, you know, negatively impacted, they're probably dead. Whereas a movie <laughs> from right now, if it's negatively impacting people, I at least want to give another way of reading it to people who care to read it a different way. Yeah, that makes, yeah, that answers makes that question. <laughs> no, that makes that makes sense of sense because, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, the reading deeper I feel like we're kind of losing that just in the effort yeah. of being entertained and just because you are entertained by something that's problematic sometimes doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't yeah. still but still point out what's yeah an issue like everyone loves Top Gun Maverick but I think you <laughs> if you love Top Gun Maverick you have to still at least understand that it is propaganda for the military like you have yeah. if you can't enjoy it and acknowledge at the same time, then you didn't actually enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You, you, you can't have both, both ways. I feel like some people may, might think that you can't do both because if you critique it, critiquing is always seen as a negative. Yeah. And I always see critiquing because I went to art school. So I'm like, usually most of the time, even if it comes off terribly, um critiquing is in my point of view like I want this to be better yes <laughs> this doesn't have to be bad like this yes, can be exactly. done a lot. yeah this can be done way better than it was you know the execution and all that so it's not necessarily coming from like a I hate this but please <laughs> in the future but we deserve better yeah yeah we don't have to settle for this we can elevate just a little bit more <laughs> yes, so that yeah yeah I feel like that's like kind of the and a, a lot of critics even are afraid to critique on like that I think now it's you read a lot of reviews and they read like summaries yeah <laughs> like yeah okay but what did you think about the movie <laughs> please or at least what what did you feel like I, I already the context yeah yeah there's no context added um it's you know but I feel like in general uh, I made my entire career pretty much off social media, but I feel like social media has made a lot of people less good at deeper discussion of anything, which is depressing. I feel like maybe because of like 
the pushback, like, especially because yeah. of like something on Twitter, like if you just a smidge wrong, you might people, be people the main character you. of the day, yeah. unfortunately, um, which, you know, nobody wants to be that no. people might get the, you know, once they, they've been told a couple times, they might get why they were wrong, but then it keeps going for like another 12 hours. Yeah. They're like, oh, wow. Just slog yeah. off today. Today is yeah, not the day. Just write today <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> today, tomorrow is a brand new day. This never happened. <laughs> Mute the topic and keep going. But what's what's really weird though is that like with the internet, you would think crit- criticism would get better because everyone can look things up. You can look up uh like anything facts context historical context if you're if you're watching a movie set in a certain time period no one does no one seems to a few people seem to do that even though all the information you've ever needed is on your at your fingertips not just like on wikipedia right like there's archive.org with you can just go and read magazines from the 1910s if you need to like it's wild yeah i think there's like a certain lack of like curiosity and yeah. also just needing everything to be right then and there. So <laughs> research is a little bit, research you know, the, is the no delayed, longer a thing. Yeah. yeah, that's like a delayed, uh, what, delayed gratification, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I got to look up the answer and keep reading <laughs> and, yeah. and more reading after that to get the whole picture, like, that's too much work <laughs> for people. Like, it's just all literally right there. I would have love to have information at my fingertips as a kid instead yes. of like having to pop in that Encarta disc <laughs> loading yes. that up or waiting for the, the internet to load but the context of the movie is not that far away if you just do like a little bit of little, little googling in yeah. <laughs> well speaking of historical context we should talk about this movie because it's actually yes. based in something historical um, and that leads me to my next question which is why did you pick this movie because for people who have not listen to um, in the studio with episode, um, we typically ask people um, to bring their favorite movie or movie that they want to talk about. And so we didn't pick this one necessarily. We were going to pick this one a long time ago, but we didn't get a chance to actually make the episode happen. So this is our second chancer. But um, yeah, what did you pick? Why did you pick this movie? And like how familiar with Miranere's work were you? And just give yeah. us a little bit about that. Um, I think prior to seeing this movie, I had seen Vanity Fair, which is not good, and Monsoon Wedding, which is, um, great. I, which is great. And yeah. I think that was it for Mira Nair at that point. Um, but it was actually the very first film I watched for A Year with Women. And uh, part of the reason it was the first one is I, for the last, I've been terrible at this, but for the last six or seven, I guess this was years ago so I guess for almost a decade now I've been trying to catch up on all the Denzel Washington movies and I keep like I only have like eight left and have I finished those eight no um (laughs) part of it is I don't want to run out of you know some of the older ones um so this was the kind of the beginning of me trying to catch up because I had already seen probably two-thirds of his films at this point and I was like okay I've got these like and this is the only one I think that he he didn't maybe I think this is the only one he made with a female director so that was like okay (laughs) I'm going to start with Denzel. It'll be great. Um, and I had found it on this like janky YouTube rip. <laughs> um, and uh, so I picked it for this because the janky YouTube rip is no longer how you have to watch it. Criterion and Janice films restored it 
beautifully. It's part of this project called Missing Movies, which um, a handful of uh, film preservationists and directors and other film people have put this this uh, thing together. So I think it launched last year, two years ago. Um, essentially, it's not lost films. So it's not films that um, there are no prints available, but it's films that are not available on home video or streaming because of certain rights issues. Um, or they can't track down who has the rights, right? So Mira Nair um, was asked by a British film festival to program this film. And she was like, I don't, I don't know who has the rights. <laughs> like, she's like, it's on YouTube, <laughs> watch that, <laughs> right? And um, so but she was like, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And they tracked it down to a music company in Tennessee who had gotten the rights from a realty company, I believe it was, who had gotten the rights from the company that originally financed it. Like the company had transformed so many times that it went from a film company to a realty company to a music company. <laughs> and they just owned the legal rights to this film. They were such a fan of Mira Nair, the person who owns it, that they just gave it back to her. Oh. They were like, this is your film. Like, I'm, we don't even know why we have it. And um, <laughs> and then they were able to restore it. And so now there's this beautiful restoration. It's on Blu-ray. It's on the Criterion channel. Um, and it's, like you said, it's rooted in history. It's a really important uh, aspect of uh, African and Indian history and American history. It, again, it's the only film directed by a woman I'm pretty sure Denzel has ever done, which is a little like, what are you doing? You should do more. She filmed you so beautifully. What are you doing? But um, it, it's a beautiful rom-com on top of it. So it's a movie that has like uh, ethically a really interesting base. But on top of that, it's just a really hot romantic comedy um, or romantic drama. And there's a little bit of comedy. Um, so it shows you that you can make a movie that pleases on one level, but also tells a really important story on another level. Um, so I just, I love it. And I'm glad that it's available is the main thing. And I just want everyone to watch it because it's yeah. so good. Yeah, I feel like this is the one of the the ones on Tumblr again. Yeah, <laughs> I would see it. I'm just like, how do you Why have this? this? Yeah, yeah, like where is this movie? Why is your screen cap so high quality? I cannot find this movie anywhere. So this one, when this popped up, we're like, oh yeah, I want to watch this. And it was very interesting um, because I feel like I watched it la like for the first time last year on the Criterion Channel, which was around the time that. Uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away and so I was watching this and I was like this is so interesting because this movie is so formed by colonialism yeah and I was just like hanging around in the background I was just like are we going to talk about it like because of course everybody on the internet was talking about it but I was like waiting for this movie and be like it's right there like it's yeah. right there in the background I think, I think what's fascinating is because Mira Nair's family was so part of that colonialism that I don't know that she can even, she even has the a capability of really seeing outside of being part of it. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like we see it and we're like, oh no, but the dad in this is really informed by her own father's experience is so like he is, he is, um, oh, for people who haven't watched the movie, basically um, Uganda kicked pretty much all of the Indian Ugandans out of Uganda Mm -hmm. um, in the 70s and early 80s. Essentially, they were like, Africa is for Africans only, get out. Except that um, people like Mira Nair's father and the character in this had lived there for generations because they were brought over when Britain had it as a colonial place and they had built railroads and other things. And 
very similar to how a lot of people ended up in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then they were given land and and considered, you know, there's like the white people and then the Indians and then the Africans, even though the Africans have been there the longest. And it's all that weird power structures that are really nasty inherent in colonialism and the sun never sets on the British empire kind of stuff. And it's interesting because you, you, part of you is like, okay, this shouldn't have been your land to begin with, but you also understand why he doesn't want to leave. Yeah. He wants his land back. He's it's been his grandfather's house. And so there's, there's a, as a viewer, there's this extra tension where you're like, I don't think your grandfather should have had that house, but he also <laughs> shouldn't have been forced to come out there to work either. And yeah. So there's like too many, too many layers. Um, but fascinating that she could get a movie that even had any of those layers in it made in 1991. Yeah. Yes. And then on top of that, there's like the American racism where um, the Indian transplants in the South see themselves as not as like a higher step than the black Southerners. But there's that great line Denzel has where he's like, the white people don't see the shade differences. So like, why are you? Yeah. Um, but it has, it has like so many different layers of, of commentary on on society and to truly if you look at the other films coming out in 1991 um other than by black filmmakers you're like no one was talking about any of this stuff no no white filmmakers were talking about this kind of stuff really you had still had like driving this daisy and really cringy (laughs) (laughs) cringy stuff coming out yeah i thought denzel's line um to jay was like I was like, oh wow, that is <laughs> that is still being talked about like now. Like every yeah. every five days there's a, like a diaspora war on Twitter. And I'm just mm-hmm. kind of like, we don't have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I know no. we have our interpersonal like, you know, clashes, but you know, there's this mm, <laughs> there's a simple answer for why we're all spread out here. <laughs> and why can't we just come together and acknowledge that? But and it's it's mostly colonialism being terrible. Yeah, yeah, and um, that was interesting too. Like, I never saw like Jay's character. I mean, on this like second like watch, I was kind of like, "Oh, you really want your house back? Like, you're not even talking about just seeing Uganda again. You're just like, I really yeah. want my house back. He just wants like, his house. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, you can't go back and just find another house. Like, <laughs> I guess I don't know. That wasn't an option. But the first time I watched it, I was like, damn, he really just wants to go home, which. I didn't blame him for that because, you know, you've never lived anywhere else. Like that's where you were born. It wasn't yeah. your fault that you were born there necessarily either. And like, they can't just say like, yeah, go to India or go to London or whatever. Like that's not your house. Like that's, you don't know anybody there. Like you can find people there, but that's yeah. not, that's not your home. That's not where you. And India for him isn't home either anymore, which Mira Nair is an interesting person because she has a little of all three places. When I interviewed her, she talked about how she, she keeps three homes. Um, she's rich enough to keep three homes, but she keeps three homes because she uh, grew up one place. She married, her husband is from Uganda and she went to school in America. And so she really feels at home in all three places. And, and there isn't one that is more, the emotions are deeper. They're different emotions in all three places. And that's a that's an aspect of 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 diaspora that we don't always think about. We're like, oh, well, your home is X place, and it's like for a lot of people, home is home is an emotional state, right? And mm-hmm. so, 
home is all these different places. What I think is interesting with Jay's character is he thinks he just wants his house, right? But yeah. when you see him at the end there and he's back there and he's he's with the community, you, you know it wasn't always the it wasn't about the home. The home represented in the legal battle was like how he worked through that emotion of, of home. Mm-hmm. Like that that was what represented home, but you see it in him just being around the people that really the home was the people and and I think that ending is one of my favorite I think endings in a movie ever it's so like I just cry every time every time I'm like he's he's there Um, but then (laughs) but then you know his emotions are now also rooted in the home he built in the south and it's like um, that's a lot um so yeah I guess we can go through like the film background so like you said um uh Mira kind of I, I guess you made a movie called Salon Bombay which sounds interesting Salon, really Salon Bombay is it. very very good yeah yeah it looks very good um so she kind of was kicking around this idea of like the hierarchy of color where she was like brown between white people and black people um which she said she felt like she started to experience when she was at Harvard um and she was like in this in-between space where um, there was like definitely like these lines where she probably could have like been friends with either or, but there's mm-hmm. just sort of like a like those invisible lines where you, people know not to cross them even though they don't talk about them. Um, ben Kingsley was originally cast as Mina's father. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Which I think is so funny. Was he, did people know he was Indian at this time or a British Indian? Because I think, I think they had discussed it a little bit when he played Gandhi because mm-hmm. uh, he's very white passing. Yeah. I think, he, I think he addressed it during that campaign so that people didn't assume. assume. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't, maybe not because I, I haven't done much reading on that because obviously lots of white people played Indian in the eighties. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. That was very yeah. common. Yeah. yeah. Um, so originally he was supposed to play Jay, but then he backed out. Um, and then the original back of the film backed out, um, but she was able to get new funding. Mira was able to get new funding um, after Denzel Washington was play, uh, chosen for the role of Demetrius because uh, Denzel had just won an Oscar for Glory as yeah, the supporting Oscar. Supposedly, he was a fan of, of uh, Salam Bombay. And so when he heard that Mira was interested, he's like, oh, I liked her film. Yeah, because they were talking about, like I watched the um they have a bunch of interviews on the cartoon channel with like some of the cast and crew including Sarita Trudy and she was talking about like yeah like it was like crazy because this is her first film role and she's acting against (laughs) Denzel Washington who just won an Oscar and he was she was like he could have done whatever he wanted at this point like he's a a freaking movie star and here he is next to me a newcomer and she was just like holy shit Which affected how she was like on set and stuff because she was like very, very shy around him, which I mean, hello. I mean, yeah, all of us. Don't blame her. (laughs) I don't blame her. Mm -mm. I mean, look at him. 90s Denzel. Brittany is a new convert to the house of Denzel. Yeah. (laughs) She didn't get it. I didn't get get it until I watched this movie. Yeah. And I watched this movie because I saw like a photo from it. I was like, the telephone scene yeah it was that scene is hot it's hot scene um it's a really hot scene she filmed him so beautifully mm-hmm. which is why I'm like why aren't you working with more women she made sure you really looked gorgeous and I don't know that all the men he works with always do that 
Like, yeah. he is gorgeous. But, oh, you know what? The other film he made directed by a woman, I almost forgot. I can't believe I forgot this. Is The Preacher's Wife. Oh, yeah. Penny also Marshall. Penny Marshall, where he's, yes. the, he's the most adorable pizza-loving angel you'll ever. <laughs> <laughs> Another favorite of the podcast. <laughs> I, lo- I love we that movie. <laughs> Sexy Dudley, the home-wrecking angel. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I might I might leave for Denzel's Angel Pizza either. seriously yeah yeah it, you have to but like prior to this like growing up one of my favorite films overall was the Mighty Quinn oh yeah where he is uh, also very uh, hot in top and like Jamaica with Robert Townsend and Shirley Ralph is there and <laughs> I love that movie as a kid mm-hmm. so I kind of saw a little something then but I didn't get it get it until yeah. now and I, yeah. I see it yeah <laughs> that's so funny because I would always be like Brittany why don't you she's like I don't really I just liked it and she was like what are you even talking about <laughs> he was always one of my favorites in the 90s because my mom likes sort of action-y kind of stuff so we are in like my brother really liked like dark horror things so we'd seen like fallen and bone collector mm-hmm. so i i used to be obsessed with the bone collector because it's denzel and angelina jolie and it's like mm-hmm. how am i not gonna watch this like 15 <laughs> times <laughs> yeah he's like lit so well and and oh, it's just very warm cinematography everyone yeah. lit well and mm-hmm. with care yeah it's very mm-hmm. like like the browns are really brown and like the yellows and the greens and the blues it feels almost tropical sometimes in places like I'm trying to remember which scene maybe like when they were like at the hotel or and I definitely yeah. remember there's when... a lot of neon like rich neons and stuff yeah too. and yeah. the um the scene where Jay comes in there in, in Mina's room, like we're moving back to Uganda and she's like looking at him and she's in that blue room with like all mm. her stuff on the walls. And she's just like sitting there, all her beautiful hair everywhere. And I was like, this is so nicely lit. Like <laughs> We cannot get these type of, this type of lighting nowadays. Like no. exciting. Like lighting is garbage. Yeah. We're supposed to, I keep taunting Brittany with this, but we're going to watch the Little Mermaid <laughs> movie. And um <sighs> Yeah, yeah, that trailer is so not well lit. I'm like, it's, I I have to hope that it's the YouTube compression that I is hope. like messing it up. But at the same time, I I've seen enough badly lit movies in the last few years that I I don't have much hope. It, yeah, it's really <laughs> like I was like, okay, she's under the sea, sure. But then I was like, no, it keeps getting worse. <laughs> it keeps read, getting worse. I read somebody wrote this just terrible ex- explanation about like artistic choices and things and someone with not a really good history of film trying to explain the changes of lighting and I was like yeah the thing is like I don't care if you want it to look natural I need to see the actor's face movie yeah. is not natural we're not in the I'm not in the room with them I am watching a movie it doesn't matter if she's under the sea and the sunlight doesn't come down there. Still light her face. It's fine. <laughs> like, and if you need a, an excuse, you know, like uh, you want to pretend there's a lamp there or something, then just have one of those like neon fish float by <laughs> and pretend that's what's lighting her face. Like, I don't know. There are creative solutions to make it. If you have to have a reason for why the light is there, yeah. put a neon fish. Like, I don't, or like one of those jellyfish, you know, they, they glow yeah yeah it, it just, it's dumb I don't like it yeah I feel like people too when they say stuff like 
like of course like oh she's under the sea so it's dark like it's not a documentary like it's it's about a teenage mermaid like (laughs) we are we are in deep fantasy here yeah it does not matter Mm -hmm. where the light is coming from this is a fairy tale like she is a teenage mermaid she has a tail let (laughs) us see her face please fish girl with a tail like it's fine brighten her up like let's make the hair freaking electric red like it doesn't have to be that dark thankfully this movie is lit by somebody who cares <laughs> thank god um and what was the other thing oh sarita she's love so her she's this she's is her so first good. movie i had no idea i thought like yeah i had no she was, idea she was um chosen marinara tells this story a couple of times and every time she tells it she tells it a little differently but the same kind of animation because she loves the story but basically she'd seen sarita's like wild hair in a mm-hmm. photo and was like this is who i want and Sarita trying to like be um you know professional had like just got her hair washed and had it pressed and it was like tight ponytail and she showed up outside and her agent was like oh no she's like get out of here get your hair <laughs> poofy again get it dirty get it back out with how it was and she's like oh so she took um Mira out to lunch being like oh sorry delay train something like that you know <laughs> and then and then Sarita came with the hair how she'd seen it in the photo and um Mira was like this is what I want yeah like, so it's one of those like good lesson for actors I guess where remember what your headshot looked like <laughs> and don't look too different from it because maybe there was something in your headshot is why they wanted you to come read yeah and I don't think Lesson. Sarita even thought she would be like asked to be like an actress in the movie she just thought she would be like a assistant yeah. getting coffee she had just graduated from film school um so she like broke down in tears when she got the role and I was like oh poor baby <laughs> and she's so good in it too mm-hmm. it's like one of those great debut performances. Yeah. He really holds her own against Denzel. And I know. It shows you what a great scene partner he is that he doesn't try to outshine her. No. He really is a great scene partner. Yeah, they like work together really well. Like they, because I know she said she was like really shy on set. And so, um, and she didn't like talk to him a lot, like in between takes and things like that. Um, so it doesn't feel like that <laughs> when they're talking. Like yeah. she's she's like a shy kind of like giggly a little bit, which obviously, but um, it doesn't feel like like they don't have a good rapport or anything yeah. like that. Like yeah, they, the chemistry is really chemistry. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank God because nowadays. <laughs> nowadays it's like the algorithm is like this person and this person are popular in this region put them together and it's like yeah (laughs) stop doing that yeah there's a lot of discussions online about chemistry and I guess like where we all went wrong yeah they (laughs) don't do they just don't do chemistry reads anymore for the most part but then you see you know the notebook the movie but I love it hot chemistry and you watch that Mm -hmm. um there's there's that video of Ryan and uh, Rachel McAdams like doing their chemistry read and you see that and you're like well of course this movie ended up great and like mm-hmm. making 10 times its profit like you're in the room with those two and you see that damn right yeah. but you, now instead you know but you, you used to do that and see it and go oh wow this is gonna make a profit right now instead of trusting that which is not something that's measurable right it's not Mm -hmm. measurable it's a gut feeling the hollywood is used to be a lot more part bean counters part gut feelings yeah and it's definitely more bean counters now and 
except the bean counters aren't even real people anymore. It's algorithms, which yeah. is like even worse. It's like yeah, it's really frustrating to see because I guess some people think that it's only like hot people, and <laughs> some people think that it's only not hot people. And I was just like, you just gotta. It's the pre-production part of the yeah. movie. Like you got to get in there and like really make sure that your actors just, are just good with each other. Yeah. Every once yeah. in a while, I'll interview somebody who I'm like, "Did you do a chemistry read? It feels like it." And like, you did, and I'm like, "I thought so." Mm-hmm. It's gotten to a point where you can really tell who has the budget, really, or the, um, you know, the the what's the word I'm looking for? The authority to like push back and say no we're doing chemistry read. Um, a lot of movies I've found a lot of female directors who make films about female friendship mm-hmm. do chemistry reads because it's very hard. I mean, it's very easy to fuck up like girls who've been friends for a decade. Right. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is a real mm-hmm. feeling um, to that. And, and if, you know, if the, if the, they don't seem like they've known each other for 10 years, that's going to be a terrible movie. But for some reason, the romantic chemistry is the one that's gone out the window. They don't even try it anymore. And I don't, I mean, maybe because they weren't really making that many. Like, we've got a sort of a resurgence. But I think even, that's what it is. It's got to be. Yeah. But even those movies really aren't that great. <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, few and far between good romances anymore. And I think my last fact was um, when they did this movie, uh, I think the entire crew was Indian or most of the crew was Indian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like Denzel and all these Indian women. <laughs> and uh, they all lived together um, at a motel on location in Mississippi. I think they shot in Mississippi and in Uganda. Yeah. Um, and Sarita said it was like her first time in the American South. And she was like, it felt very like the racism felt a little. <laughs> yes. More yes. palpable than that she was expecting. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that sounds about right. I don't even know where Greenwood, Mississippi is, to be honest. Like, I've only been to It's Jackson. probably one of those like not on a map till you hit Mississippi kind of towns. Yeah. yeah. Like a, like you drive through it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Have you been there, Brittany? Have you, do you know what Greenwood, Mississippi? I have not. Um. So, like, my family is from that area. So I've stayed in, like, larger cities like Meridian. And mm-hmm. then a city you have literally never heard of. If you could find it on a map, congratulations, <laughs> on, like, a family farm when I was in, like, high school. But mm-hmm. I don't know. But I think I've been to Biloxi before, like, mm-hmm. where the the carnival mm-hmm. oh, in um, this movie, yeah. scene um, has It's a big tourist place. scene. It's like, a, it's like yeah, all the... One of the bigger cities all the old people yeah. go there to gamble <laughs> I've yeah driven, i've driven through northern mississippi because i drove from la to atlanta mm-hmm. when i moved to atlanta um back when i was living in atlanta and that was that was a lot like mm-hmm. all those states are so different starting in california going straight through to georgia yeah. was very illuminating but i yeah but i didn't i actually don't think i've actually been in a city in mississippi yeah i've driven through mississippi plenty of times because like driving back and forth from texas to florida and then mm-hmm. texas to georgia um like you go through either straight down or straight across um but i've never like stayed there like overnight like i think the only time i've yeah. stayed overnight anywhere is like alabama just because that's kind of where we hit our limit <laughs> before we got to florida um so yeah i, I mean i kind of got it though because like those small towns are just so so small like i couldn't even Tell you I grew up in a I grew up was. in a small town in Northern California that 
uh, I was just there last week, actually. And it, when I moved to Atlanta, I, I think a lot of people like, oh, no, you're in the South. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think you know what small towns in like the West are like, but they're very, actually very similar to the South. Um, and just in terms of like conservatism, um, overt racism, my hometown in particular, there's just not many people who aren't white, to be honest. And so when there are people other than Native Americans, there's a few tribes up there, but it's a bleak place. Um, it's also very nice, like at the same time, but you definitely um, go there and you're like, ooh, <laughs> you feel it. Um, and it's it's always interesting to think of films being made in places like that because so much of the country lives in small like we think of small towns as like not a large part of the country because you know cities are these huge you know millions of people but if you add up all the small towns it's that's still a lot of people i've recently kind of been thinking about this a lot because there's movies that i've seen like bones and all and american honey and uh red rocket which is cursed but <laughs> yeah red rocket's cursed for Ooh, sure. really it's not like that content. movie at all no my goodness i need to finish it don't do oh. it just cut it <laughs> i turned it off but i was like turn I it off. don't turn it back it. on Go just back don't turn it back on like sean yeah, you're, you're good you're good you're fun but no um not that one i like the whole like showing these very small towns in mm-hmm. america versus like the cities because i feel like outside of america like you only hear about the cities and if you yeah. have a small town it's like kind of you know the stereotypes or whatever but so much of america is those small towns like yeah when as you leave you know new york or as soon as you leave atlanta or dallas or whatever like it's just these little it's, bitty towns it's like very the, different the biggest thing there is the football <laughs> team and the football games in in the fall yeah. like it's not you know it's not yeah. these huge metropolises everywhere and um like my, my hometown is three hours from the airport it's a three-hour drive to yeah literally nothing like mountains and i i don't think even americans don't for the most part a lot of americans because most american media is centered either in cities or suburbs mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. don't think about how isolated a lot of america actually is how insular it becomes when you're isolated like that and what I like about this movie is that it's not just an isolated region for the white people. It, it, that insularity happens to the community, the other communities there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, because, because of how small and away from everything these cities are. Right. It's definitely not, not a, not a concept of America that gets made a lot. And part of it, I think is because a lot of the people who finance films think they know what, about small towns mm-hmm. um and because there's this like concept of what a small what small town america is you know, very rooted in like norman rockwell and like the andy hardy movies from the 30s or whatever and you don't see them getting greenlit that often and or when you do they tend to be written by people who aren't from small towns and you can tell like if yeah. you've ever lived in a small town and then you watch a movie that's one of my that you asked about rhetoric of or not rhetoric rubric for like grading Mm -hmm. absolutely if there is a movie set in a small town and it does not feel like anyone involved in this movie has ever actually spent more than like a night in a town under ten thousand, automatically uh, i'm dubious (laughs) because i don't i it's it is 
Like rural America really is a an aspect of identity that is not discussed. But I, I feel like rural America is really misunderstood. Yeah, I feel like it's it's a little like swept under the rug. Like that's why I get kind yeah. of I'm like, oh, like this is very much like like when I watched American Honey and I was like, no, this like these people remind me a lot of people I would skate with in roller derby and stuff. And I was like, no, this is this is very accurate. <laughs> this feels very accurate. The setting feels very accurate. And like you don't really see those places like in movies. Like those places can be not not often yeah like those places can be shot well too just like a city can be shot well so I thought that was kind of kind of funny that <laughs> like this kind of fits in that especially since like um like Mira's not from the U.S. so yeah I like to see how people shoot small towns that are not from America and like how they kind of interpret it and usually they feel very like interested in it way more interested in it than people from America yeah I think I agree with that. I think people from not America come at it from a place of respect because they don't necessarily have a negative idea in their head Mm. already, Mm -hmm. whereas, or even any kind of idea in their head. Whereas I think a lot of people, you'll ask them, what do you, you know, take a microphone and be like, what do you think about rural America? They'll have, they'll know exactly what they think rural America Mm -hmm. is. Um, And they might not be that far off, but at the same time, it's gotten, I I just think I feel like it's gotten worse in a lot of rural places out of not just media neglect, but economic neglect and like all kinds of. Yeah. It's far more complicated, I feel like, than it it gets reported. Yeah. Brittany, you went to a small town for college. Yeah. Like I was just going to say, like from the opening shots, well, not the opening opening, but when they were like buying milk at the Piggly Wiggly, (laughs) it felt really familiar. It felt like I had been there because I have shopped at a Piggly Wiggly. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like a community that I have been a part of places that I have been, even though I have not been to Greenwood, Mississippi. It -hmm. it just felt familiar. It felt like home. It felt like Mm. I know, I know that place. Like I can be of kin there. Yeah. So that is a part that had drawn me to this film and has made me watch it like four times <laughs> in the last couple of months. Um, and a quality that I really liked about it a mm. lot. Yeah, I remember there was a Piggly Wiggly at the small town that I went to college in. And people don't even realize that that's a real place. <laughs> no, they don't. It's, I, it's in um, Sweet Home, Alabama. There's a joke about Piggly Wiggly. And I feel like a lot of people, that's all they know. <laughs> all yeah. they know. Yeah, I've seen people like, that's a real place. Like that. I'm like, yes, that is a real place. People yeah. actually did shop there. They still do shop there. I don't, I don't know how many are left in the country, but that's not like a made up fictional place. <laughs> is a a real chain of grocery stores yes yes, yeah people do go there um so Brittany mentioned the opening of the movie and all that milk so much milk all the milk (laughs) and I wanted to break up the movie kind of like in the highlights because there's two like main love stories here kind of sort of which is like Jay in Uganda and Jay in in Jay's house in Uganda and Mina and Demetrius aka (laughs) D-Money Which I love that. Mm. Can you imagine <laughs> Dissolve being called D-Money? <laughs> Even though he likes to talk about how he was, uh, where part of New York is he from? I forget where he's from. He's from oh, somewhere. Yeah. 
not Yonkers. He talks, he talks about it a lot. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that Jesus Romero interview. But he basically, he's, Mount he's, Vernon. Yes, Mount Vernon. Mount he's, Vernon. And Denzel letting you know he's from the streets. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that, that um, interview he does with Jamie Foxx where <laughs> he talks about leaving the first time he's nominated for an Oscar and he took food with him and he's like, I'm from around the... I can't say it right. I'm from around the way. I'm leaving with something. Like, I... Is this household yeah about? this household watches that video a lot because it is so <laughs> it's so good it's like that's their that's Denzel he you know he's like an elder now right and mm-hmm. got all these Oscars and but that's one where you see like core Denzel I feel like yeah yeah, yeah. Well, like, like, J- Jamie Foxx is a great interviewer I haven't seen the whole movie, or not the whole movie. I haven't seen the whole clip. I've really only seen the part where he's like, "I'm leaving." It's a good interview. It's a really good interview. (laughs) Jamie Foxx like could have been a late night. I mean, Jamie Foxx could be like literally anything he wants to do. Mm -hmm. I've never seen him be bad at anything. Yeah, we just were looking at what are the one of our friends sent us a clip of his stand-up and i was like jamie fox was like a stand-up comedian too you, ever, you, ever, you should he google, could do anything. google yeah. jamie fox impersonations <laughs> and just there's a couple of clips of like best of clips mm-hmm. hands down one of the best impersonators of the last 20 years he can yeah. do anybody i feel like he got his oscar and he's like okay that's enough <laughs> Like, we haven't really seen him that much no. after, like, Spider-Man he, or whatever. And... He's in it for the money now, probably got kids' tuitions to pay and stuff. But, That's like, he could do anything he wanted. Yeah, yeah. That um that one album of his gets a lot of spins <laughs> in this house. Um, So, yeah, I broke it down into, like, three parts, basically. So, Jay and Uganda, Mina and Demetrius, and, like, the community at large. Um. So we've already kind of talked about Jay in Uganda, um, where basically, like, they got kicked out um, of Uganda due to general Amin's like, anti-Asian policy, the Indian phobia, and Jay having, like, the nerve to speak out about this on a BBC interview, which Ooh. I was like, yo, sir, they could drag you from your house. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> they lucky could, like, they weren't all shot, basically. Yes. Like, his wife, like, I like how the movie is told kind of in flashbacks. I don't think I really got that the first time I watched this because, like, they tell this story originally, like, he's being told to leave and his friend Akello is like, you got to go, like, Africa's for Black Africans only, like, you got to leave. And then over time, we get more flashbacks and, like, we get one where, like, his wife Kinu is like, I'm taking Mina and we're leaving. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. We're out. And like, you don't get that in the beginning. So you get like all these like extra layers. And then like over time, we realize that all these, like, I don't know, like a grudge, all this like anger he's been harboring over being told to leave was really because he was mad at his friend for like this yeah. like sort of perceived betrayal but the whole time it's like his friend bailed him out from jail they went and grabbed jay from a restaurant put him in the trunk of a car he's in prison uh akello comes mm. and bails him out like all these stacks of money i don't know where he got the money and if he was able to like live off of anything after that and he just completely ghosts Okella after that <laughs> like he comes to say goodbye to them when they're leaving and he won't even speak to him and he has all this, like, this, I don't want to say misplaced rage, but, like, he's just so mad at, at Akello for all of this. And it was not even <laughs> the right person yeah. to be upset and, about. And 
Akello's doing what he's doing to preserve his friend and his friend's family. Mm-hmm. And but mm-hmm. you know he's so rooted in in this concept of home that he can't he's blinded by that. And then mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't spoil it, but when you find out what actually happens mm-hmm. with the friendship, it's like oh no, <laughs> like whole this whole anger over something that is not at all what he thinks it is is very sad. Yeah, and I noticed too that like Jay has a real problem with like saying goodbye to people mm-hmm. <laughs> when they are doing something that he does not agree with because he does the same thing to Mina when she calls to say goodbye. Yeah, and he just like kind of puts the phone down and won't talk to her. And I'm like, that's the last time you can see your baby and <laughs> your daughter. Like, figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we feel about Jay and his everything? <laughs> My feelings about Jay are very complicated. I understand his quest to return home because it's it's home. That is, like they say, the idiom is, the home is where your heart is. Like, mm-hmm. he was born there. He was raised there. His family was, like, his family prior to exile. That's where, that's all he knew. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, he wasn't, amenable to like understanding like why he had to leave like he didn't even bother to lend himself to what his best friend because they were raised together yeah. mm-hmm. from babies essentially mm-hmm. what his best friend risked like he put his life on the line like his life was on the line for him mm-hmm. he didn't even like bother to consider what he did for him and his family he just like harbored like resentment mm-hmm. that entire time and just yeah. made it a quest to just to return home and he didn't even consider his wife his children nothing he just wanted to return home no and, and he doesn't even think that mina remembers anything and i was like that baby remembers a lot yo, she remembers yeah. everything yeah. yeah um he doesn't even know what he would do when he got there he just wants to go there he doesn't even consider that like what if you get there and things are not the same like it, mm-hmm. it you know it's not going to be the same when you get there mm-hmm. but what if it's totally totally different yeah and he just doesn't bother to consider any of those options so it's just is he's, he's he's a he's just complicated like i get <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> and it's just well to use all that that anger to fester is kind of like sir that's not really the right <laughs> yeah he i feel like part of it is is an examination of what it is to not to not be able to let go of something mm-hmm. right and and that's one of the one of the insidious things about colonialism is is it makes you think that you can own anything mm-hmm. you can own land mm-hmm. that you can own like it all comes from colonialism you know colonialism comes from feudalism and like all of it mm-hmm. comes from this idea that anyone owns land right yeah and mm-hmm. and that's a very poisonous idea and obviously now we're all paying freaking rent to landlords and stuff so it, it endures but um mina and and i'm forgetting the, the mom's name oh kinu kinu yeah they're both able to sort of realize that they they still have that feeling of home when they're together mm-hmm. and and like land whatever right they're able to really cherish each other in a way that the colonialism is just so seeped into uh, Jay that he can't see it. He can't see that like the home is them mm-hmm. until that mm-hmm. very ending. And and I think um, I think it's an interesting way to try to grapple with that that poisonous side of colonialism. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the sad fact is like he spends most of the movie trying to sue the government after yeah. like uh I guess Amin had been deposed or I don't know what happened to him after that. He didn't die till like two thousand three. <laughs> he was still alive when this movie came out. I believe he was was deposed. Like, yeah. I just don't know like where he went after <laughs> that. I just I was surprised because I was like, did he die in there? But he was alive until two thousand three. So um, he was still alive and kicking when this movie was released. So I wonder if he got a kick out of seeing people play him because that seems like the type of <laughs> thing yeah. he would he would kind of be like, oh, thank you for that. It's terrible. Now, now I'm immortal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jay spent the whole time suing the government and being like, I want my house back. And I was like, you don't want to go visit. Like, you don't want to, <laughs> you know, kind of step back now that you probably freely can go visit again. Like, you don't just want to go and say like, look at the river that I used to swim in and stuff like you just want your house back and I was like goodness gracious there's more important things yeah and and he's so fixated on on that concept that he's like completely neglected his daughter mm-hmm. like completely she she's so wild because she knows she can be because he's not paying attention yeah yeah which I mean like Good for her character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, could you just like take take a break and look around you? And people think he's crazy. Like people in the community think he's a nutcase because that's basically all he did. Like I don't think he works. Like he technically no? manages that. Um, he's like technically, I think the front door manager of, or front desk manager of that hotel where they live, the Monte Monte Cristo. But because I think it's his cousin that owns it, something like that. Yeah, I know that Kinu owns the or not. Well, I don't know. If she and then Kinu the runs. Yeah, she runs the liquor store. Yeah. So like, I was just like, just Jay, because he was a lawyer back in Uganda. So I was like, you doing any cases? I mean, yeah. it's hard to to transfer. Like most of the time, you can't even transfer. Yeah, here. most of the time you have to re do the whole the entire. Yeah. Yeah. So I can understand why you wouldn't want to <laughs> in that case. I was like, go do something with your time, sir. Besides writing these people, like. And he doesn't even tell them that he's, I feel like he tells them, but I don't think he tells, like he tells them that he's writing to the country, but I don't think he tells them that he gets his court date when he does until he uses it as an excuse to be like, these people hate us, pack up your shit. Yeah. <laughs> We're going home. And everybody's like, huh? <laughs> like we have genuine things happening here. Like we've got, like, this is a, we've set down roots. Like we just can't pick up everything and leave all over again, but what Jay wants <laughs> unfortunately and I felt really bad that he was kind of using that hurt to like just determine like how he was gonna raise Mina yeah um especially like from so far away like that felt like a like he wasn't letting her have a chance to do anything or learn anything on her own which reminds me of another movie oh which movie it actually reminds me of uh, which I don't I was hesitant to like say it because it seems too on the nose, but like bend it like Beckham. It's almost like that. Yeah, I can feel that. Yeah, I can feel that. Dads who can't let go of something that happened to them in the past, whether it was like warranted or whatever. And then they're just like, oh, well, you know, my daughter won't ever have to experience any of that. So we're never, you can't play sports because I couldn't play sports like how you gonna let her entire yeah. life get derailed like that because you don't you can't let go that somebody made fun of you I think that's an apt comparison like yeah. thematically I, I agree yeah I feel it 
I feel like we watched. Did we watch? We watched that for the show. Like I love Bend It. I love Bend It Like Beckham. We did. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish she had gotten to make the lesbian version of it, but it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed Homophobia to be one again. Um, who, who was Kira? That uh, I can't remember her name. What is her name? I can't remember. But yeah, they were supposed to be two. And Parmen and Nagara should have been way more famous than she ended up being. Yeah, she ended up on ER forever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, at least she got paychecks. Jobs. That, yeah but. she did but i was like come on like here at least like the film industry's go-to uh historical romance yeah you got and, her niche and yeah and you're on er like come on like that's not fair come on um so yeah jay is is a hot mess and he is a hot mess for the majority of the movie which is is sad um and then my next highlight was mina and demetrius uh so i guess this is set in present day like present day 1990 so a little bit after they were expelled the family was living in england they moved to greenwood um which i think is like a real like thing like there's a community of yeah um indian americans that run like some hotels or motels motels yeah Yeah. thing yeah so i feel like this was like family like either family friends or actual cousins that they made contact with and we're just like come on over come work and- yeah I think I think you end up with these communities a lot because of um how sponsorship for citizenship mm. works in America and so the one one establishes and then they're able to sponsor and then one one of that families once they're established then they sponsor and mm. that's yeah. how you end up in with these either I whether it's families or family friends communities yeah um and the south is um it has this huge Indian, like, diaspora population, like Georgia, <laughs> the Decatur, it's mm-hmm. huge. All the best Indian mm. restaurants in Georgia are in Decatur. There's a lot of uh, Indian Americans and, like, just Southeast Asians in general in Dallas, which you would never mm-hmm. suspect. But Same in, um, not Fremont, but one of the, Hayward, maybe one of the Bay Area, South Bay mm-hmm. regions in the Bay mm-hmm. Area in California, best Indian restaurants in the state. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they all live like in this motel and um, Mina is now 24 and she meets Demetrius when she crashes her family friend's car in the back of his work van, which she is a terrible driver <laughs> in this entire movie. I was like, stop letting her behind the wheel of the car. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think she takes the same car at the end to go find him. And I was like, please. Just. <laughs> Ease up on the gas pedal, <laughs> ma'am. You're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself again. Um, and Mina's kind of looked at by her friends. Well, not friends. I guess like her community and like her family is kind of being a little wayward. I guess like her father wants her to go to college. Her mom wants her to get married. And her family. And or- there's there's like a whole bunch of the aunties there that think she's too dark skinned mm-hmm, like that's mm-hmm. a whole that's a whole thing that's discussed in there because she's with like one of the rich one of the rich boys and they're like yeah. oh, he'll, he'll never marry her she's not you know yeah enough. and it's like whoa okay I have a quote it's like you can be dark and have money you can be fair with no money but you can't be dark and have no money and expect to get Harry Patel which Harry Patel is kind of like a square anyway he's boring (laughs) yeah the only thing he has going for him is his money yeah and i was just like and we never see him again after that one scene but he was so he was so boring i was like all right yeah like 
sure he, she would be too much for him I think in the yeah. first place um and she like Mina really like ex- like she respects her family because I know in the the interview I watched with Rita she uh talks about how like her character was dressed like there's a lot of like almost traditional or like very traditional uh Indian garments but then like she kind of mixes it up and she had like the costume designer like rip stuff and then like fix it so she tried to like hide it so Mm. she's trying to like be like a respectful daughter but then also be herself at the same time which I thought was cool because I love her her Bob Marley tea when she's looking at the the front counter I thought that was cool but she has like a lot of like traditional like almost like even long sleeve stuff too and I was like I'm not in Mississippi (laughs) it is too hot for that oh like I like the eclectic um, looks that she had um, mm-hmm. that really expressed her personality because she has a very, very big personality. Mm-hmm. She's very stubborn. She's always doing exactly what she wants, even though she tries to abide by what her parents want, mm-hmm. but she still ends up doing things her way. Like she'll go with it as far as, you know, to a certain point but she always takes that left turn mm-hmm. into doing what she wants to do and her costumes really express that yeah and she's got that wild hair that yeah <laughs> she's known for she gets the 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 gilda hair flip introduction yeah yes fun. i asked that was one of the first questions i asked mira Nair about when i interviewed her when this blu-ray came out uh because i i'd seen it maybe three times um when i was watching it prepping and I was like is that supposed to be a Gilda hair flip <laughs> she says no mm. that was just like it just happened but I'm like, you look at it and I'm like maybe it happened subconsciously yeah because it sure feels like a Gilda hair flip <laughs> but <laughs> one of my favorite introductions ever <laughs> you know exactly what you're getting from her character from that mm-hmm. first sequence yeah 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 and I love that Mina too she has like a little bit of a mix of like Americanized, but also like Britishness, because she calls one of her family friends a wanker. Yeah, <laughs> and mm. then she's given them the Darius's like uh, business card that they exchanged when uh, they were talking about like the insurance and stuff. She's like, "Y'all might need this," and I was like, "Oh, she's so adorable." She's just like a mix of all these different places, and um, at the same time, uh, Demetrius is. A local business owner, he runs a carpet cleaning business with his <laughs> his friend was so funny. His wannabe actor friend Tyrone, who's like, I'm just in Mississippi trying to <laughs> bide my time because I'm, I, you know, I'm like Eddie Murphy. Like I need to, I don't want to be, you know, too famous too fast. <laughs> so I'm in Mississippi cleaning carpets until I can, you know, make my grand return. <laughs> and I was like, what is he even talking about? <laughs> He was so adorable. He's um, funny in this. <laughs> yeah, and he's going back to LA anyway. He's like, I don't he need this. He does it. He's going to try. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so Demetrius has his business because of a loan recommended by, like, not even, isn't it like the restaurant that his dad works at? Yes, right? I think it's the restaurant his dad works at. Yeah, and they run, like, a basically, like, a white-only restaurant. It's not white-only, but, like, everybody in there yeah eating there is white yeah and all the waitresses are black or waiters are black which you see a lot uh when you go 
down south, like all the wait staff and all the people who like are running places, like hotels and stuff, are all black. And then the people who are enjoying the buildings or whatever are white. And so um, Demetrius is like very frustrated with his dad because his dad is kind of like super. I don't want to say isn't the old world isn't the right term and old school isn't either. <laughs> How would you say this? I would, I guess, traditional mm. in Southern, like Southern tradition in that he was raised in the way that you have to respect old Southern white people in this manner that you have to like do certain things in a certain way because this is Southern et- etiquette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Demetrius wants um, Willie Ben, his father, to break away from that because it's 1991 and you don't have to do these things anymore. Yeah. Um, and he and also... Demetrius is oh. kind of in the middle there and then his brother is like kind of leading into like Afrocentrism, militantism mm-hmm. stuff, but like he's very much a dabbler. Like, you know, <laughs> you know he doesn't actually have those convictions he's just using it as an excuse to not try <laughs> which yeah. is which yeah. is why his brother is like just try it something <laughs> yeah he's like, his brother is unemployed and he keeps saying that there's like i don't know what his excuse was but like he couldn't get a job because he said the people down at like the welfare office or an employment officer officer whatever was like uh, we're only giving jobs to veterans this, this time. And so I couldn't get a job. And <laughs> Demetrius is like, just do something. My God. Literally anything. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Like the bar for his brother is very low and he won't even like aim for that. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting family dynamic between the three of them mm-hmm. because it is like three very different aspects of of um, how to how to be yeah how to be an adult you know in this world yeah because he's like you could be like your brother your younger brother or you could just grow up and be like your dad kind of stuck in a time warp (laughs) almost where you got this like goofy suit to go serve these people in this like shitty dining hall and it's like there's just not a lot of great opportunities either way you look so I I can understand why he was so frustrated because it's not even like weird um like you know pull up your pants type <laughs> frustration it's more just like just do something just like, yeah. do anything like this is such a small town there's not much for us to do here so just do something when you can like take the opportunity yeah um and he's also very frustrated too because well I don't think he like really mentions it that much it's like more that his aunt kind of exposes him talking about how he was supposed to go to college at Jackson State but he ended up not going because his mother died and he just wanted to take care of his dad and not be too far away. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if he had like a really great opportunity at school for him, like waiting for him, he had to like turn it down. Like I'd be so resentful. Yeah. Especially, um, you know, in the seventies, eighties, when we were coming out of a recession mm-hmm. and college is one of your one ways that that era to really have any kind of upper mobility mm-hmm. and, and then you go into the reaganisms of the 80s where small businesses were really not treated well at all mm-hmm. small businesses small farms all of that it was like corporations were the only ones that got any breaks 
right well, which continues <laughs> yeah I mean yeah I like to blame everything on Reagan if I can. So. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> he just did so many terrible things. Everything kind of ladders back up to one Reagan policy or another. Um, so I guess after they meet, Mina and Demetrius meet, there's like a wedding that Mina goes to. She ends up ditching with Harry Patel and goes to this club. I guess like one of the only places in town that's still open that late at night which ends up being like this black club like dance club and I forget what the place is called but it's like Mina fits in so well in the club and Harry's kind of (laughs) like it does not (laughs) I don't know about this one um Brittany's gonna hate this example but it kind of reminded me of that club from Queen and Slim just a smidge (laughs) curse content I, I still haven't seen Queen and Slim it's one of my big like films for the last few years I know it's very divisive which is why I'm afraid to watch it because I'm like I don't I don't want to fall on either side of the debate so so far I just haven't watched it I mean it's very pretty it's a very pretty (laughs) movie (laughs) very gorgeous but it's yeah some of the some of those choices some of the editing choices yeah I feel like maybe on its 10 year anniversary is when I'll watch it and it'll be like (laughs) it's an anniversary watching and that'll be my excuse it, yeah, it, it could have been so much better than it was. Like as a as a Bonnie and Clyde type film, it could have been like way more than it ended up being, which is unfortunate because we need a good Bonnie and Clyde, I feel. Yeah. Um, but I like the whole club thing, like the whole club scene, like they're all dancing and like Mina knows the line dances and stuff. Like she's- The she's... line dances brought me back to my childhood. <laughs> oh God. Everyone had to learn how to dance to Achy Breaky Heart. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. I think of like that. I think of some of like the newer ones. I could not remember the cha-cha slide the other day. I had like a complete brain fart because that's basically a line dance along with yeah. like the electric slide and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, what is that dance that we used to do? <laughs> it's like a childhood staple. Like, which ones did you do, Brittany? You did the cha-cha slide. So being from Cleveland, is the line dance from for everything like <laughs> if you think of a slot a song there's a line dance to it so like oh same for like chicago like mm-hmm. it's probably a line dance or some kind of dance to a song so we did like it's like the booty call <laughs> which is a song by like the um black street so it's the cha-cha slide the electric slide um my favorite is uh disco lady by johnny guitar watson okay and um trans europe express like okay. those are some of my i know favorites. i know that i know that one <laughs> yeah i don't think i know any of these except for chacha slide and electric slide i you gotta learn the achy breaky heart one i feel like if i went to fort worth when i go back so home big. i'll go down to fort worth and we'll go to <laughs> we also we also had to do in gym like middle school we had to learn how to do um not line dancing but square dancing square dancing yeah we had to do that too. what was that about why was all of america learning square dancing i don't know i don't know i don't know why that was a thing because like so weird we weren't we didn't do it at dances like actual school dances so i don't know what that was <laughs> trying to instill in us no. we weren't even really allowed to touch each other no it was <laughs> just weird 
Yeah, we would get like scolded if we like hugged another person in my school. <laughs> so I don't know what was the point of. Yeah, it was very like very almost like yeah. mummies touching each other. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We always got a teacher oh. would be like, "Are you sure you should be doing that?" Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> Good old fashioned Texas high school education. I love the club though, and I love everything that they kind of, all the interactions in it. Um, Mina and Demetrius end up talking. But Demetrius is being a fool because he's still got a thing for his like ex fling Alicia, who was going by Lachey or something like that. Very interesting choice of. She's going to be a singer. Yeah, yeah, her reinvention. And she's with some like fancy record producer and she's not even paying attention to him. Like not paying attention to Demetrius at all. And so. Um, Demetrius and Mina end up slow dancing and basically just like Harry Patel is like I don't know an afterthought at this point he stomps on home and like they get close really fast which I thought was pretty interesting because the way everybody acts later on when they're like together together is like everybody's like what the hell (laughs) and I'm like did you not see like she came to meet his family. <laughs> she, went, at, she went to like grandfather's birthday. Yeah. Like, like she's at the birthday parties. Like he's coming over and being like, I couldn't stop thinking about you. Do you want to go to Biloxi? <laughs> 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 like, don't let anybody see you. But can you, do you want to go with me down to the, the beach? You know, and everybody's so surprised. Like, I don't really understand why everybody was so surprised at their relationship i think no one was paying attention mm-hmm. like everyone's so wrapped up in their own drama they were just not noticing that's true yeah because even like lamina is like yeah dad so i got invited to go down to biloxi by a friend i will be leaving tonight and <laughs> <laughs> and he's like yeah sure whatever bye <laughs> got some news about my house goodbye <laughs> um and of course, we have the phone call before they go down to Biloxi, which I was like, that this scene is hot. Yeah. Denzel caking on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was, I asked her about that scene because obviously it's like, that is one of the marquee scenes of this film. And I was like, we're in this like very sexless era of cinema and they're not naked in this. They're, I mean, they kind of touch themselves a little bit, but for the mm-hmm. most part, they're clothed. Mm-hmm. But it is one of the hottest, like, sex scenes probably in the last 30 years. And and I'm like, what you, what's your thought on this? And she, what, basically what she said is, it's not just that sex is missing. And I this was when she said this, my, like, brain exploded. She <laughs> said, it, what, what's really missing is eros, which is that desire, mm-hmm. the buildup. You don't get, we don't even get that in movies anymore. Yeah. It's like, if we're afraid to show tits or something, okay, sure. But we can still have eros, like... Even if you watch um, classic films, like there's the doorstep uh, scene in The More the Merrier between Joel McRae and Gene Arthur. Mm-hmm. And it has a very similar like steamy vibe. And they are completely wearing like 1940s, like World War II suits. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hotter than most things coming out today. And uh, so she has a, she made a great point. But like even that, just that friction between people and into our previous discussion about chemistry reads like you get that from having to be with chemistry yeah we don't even have that in movies anymore yeah 
we've lost so many recipes. Make movies <laughs> see me again. Like, what is happening? Yeah. Brittany, how you feel? Like, I'm even trying to think of, like, the last few, like, romances or romantic dramas that I've watched that even had a little bit of this. A little bit of that, yeah. And the only thing, and I've mentioned this so much, like the only thing I keep coming back to is the photograph. Yes. That was, uh, again, directed by a woman. Um, and maybe, and that is a couple years old. Yeah. That was like a pre-pandemic. I think that was one of the last movies I saw before the world shut down. And I don't even think anything upcoming looks yeah. like on the horizon. Like I did watch a really cute romantic comedy. And romantic comedies are different. Was like, it Rylan? Rylan is really yeah, cute. They do have so chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still different. It doesn't have that same chemistry like romantic comedies in the 90s or early mm-hmm. 2000s. It's, it's yeah. just a little different. And it's definitely not what we see here. I, yes. I don't I don't know if I don't know if we're ever going to get back to this. <laughs> And we need, we need to do this. We need to come back to this. It's going to take a couple of election cycles. <laughs> yeah. But we get back to we, it. We need, you know how like Bloomhouse, the Jason Bloom, Jason Bloom, <laughs> whatever his name is. He was like, we're missing a certain kind of horror movie. And he worked in the studio system long enough that he'd had a, um, his own money, but also he could convince investors to like create Bloomhouse, right? Mm-hmm. And for Bloomhouse, we have a, a whole plethora of, wonderful mid-budget horror movies again right we love it we need someone like that to come out like someone who's worked at netflix for 10 years and has all the connections needs to pop out of netflix and create their own micro mini like bloom house get some investors Mm -hmm. bring back movies like this yeah yes i unfortunately did not make any money in my times in hollywood um i social media is notoriously underpaid people who did similar jobs in other marketing departments we're making three or four times what I was making because everyone believes that social media is still new, even though it's a 20 year old. Um, mm-hmm. it's like it's social media's been around for so long, please pay us. The but, intern, um, the intern, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I've been doing, I was an intern for 10 years, like, no, <laughs> but please trust me. Um, but like, that's something I would have if I had ever made money or like had that kind of connection, I absolutely would have made a micro mini rom com only studio because I love rom coms so much mm-hmm. and. You wouldn't think it because most of the rom-coms I've reviewed in the last two years have been absolute garbage and I've been giving them like terrible reviews and people are giving them good reviews because they're like, oh, well, we got scraps. I'm like, that's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, yeah. you can't say this is, at least this is something because then they'll just keep giving you scraps. Yeah. You have to tell them it's garbage. So hopefully <laughs> they'll make something that isn't garbage. That's how I feel. <laughs> I feel like what was the last one we exactly. watched? Brittany was like... I mean, by the time this episode comes out, like, we would already put this episode out. The Bodyguard, that was the last uh-huh. one we were like, oh, this is kind of a little something there. Yeah, like, something's I'm not, happening. Not, like, a huge Kevin Costner fan, but, like, I was like, well, there's something, you know, and they're, you know, we're actually friends for, like, life or whatever. But, like, that. besides that, <laughs> it's been really dry. <laughs> Who would have thought there was chemistry between Whitney Houston and <laughs> Kevin Costner? No. Like, best like opposites <laughs> but something happened it and you were like wait are they gonna kiss they should kiss by the end of the movie you're like they should they should definitely do something like something yeah. should happen here yeah like 
we don't we just don't have that anymore yeah it's very I don't know I don't know what everybody's afraid of I don't know like we've gotten more conservative as a country in terms of entertainment and it's weird I don't like it even the people that you would think would be a little bit more like liberal in their watchings are like how dare you put a sex scene I'm like where are you seeing these sex scenes yeah like what tell tell me where they are yeah if you don't want to watch them I'll watch them and judge them for you half half the time the things people are complaining about aren't even really sex scenes it's nudity Mm. and and they're like conflating because so it's so it's so American to conflate nudity with sexuality, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not the same thing. That's why this this scene is a sex scene, and there is no nudity because mm-hmm. it's about mm-hmm. that feeling it evokes, not tits, right? And yeah, a lot of people were talking about the Lady Chatterley's Lover movie. Oh, the that's like great sword? sex scenes, and it's like no, it had very very naked sex scenes, but I they were very bony. <laughs> They were not very hot. I I watched it. The way she shot it, I was like, Yeah. Oh, it was a woman that made that one. Yeah, the newest woman. And so it was less leering, which Mm. is great. I appreciate that it was equal opportunity the way they were naked. But I don't think those were very hot sex scenes. They were just very naked, which is not the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) That was my first Lady Charlie's Lover after the the nineties version. The nineties version with Sean Bean it's made by Ken Russell who was a man who knew how to shoot eroticism really well even though he made it for tv it's very erotic mm-hmm. I'll put it out there I think it's a mini series so it's a kind of a commitment but in terms of like being actually erotic it, yeah it actually I think is. I watched that one I watched the Netflix one mainly because I like um Jack O'Connell from Skins mm-hmm. shout out Cookie from Skins <laughs> but uh yeah I was kind of like oh like I wasn't even, I don't even think I was really that concerned about the sex scenes I was just like oh he's she's gonna leave him and then she doesn't and I was like oh a surprise I had no idea that this wasn't <laughs> this is gonna be a happy ending I thought it was gonna be <laughs> depression on top of depression <laughs> Brittany did you watch it no I that wasn't even I didn't even know that movie existed like I saw <laughs> yeah it barely it barely got it like it played yeah. a couple of festivals and then they dropped it in December or something and yeah I saw, like I saw the poster like a like way early and then I thought it just disappeared I didn't even know it came out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's been on Netflix for at least six months maybe yeah. oh, I think it yeah. I think it came out in like November, December. Yeah. Like okay. So, yeah. Probably. But lot. we're hitting on like four or five months. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's been up there for a minute. It's just like, if it's not on that front page, like <laughs> you pretty much will not see it. So no. yeah. Lady Charlie's Lover is, is on Netflix. If you like, what's her name that played Princess Diana? And um, if you're a Skins fan, like I was. <laughs> yeah. That's on there. Um, But yeah, the phone call scene is like, so good. And then when they go down to Luxie and they actually have sex, I was like, well, hello. I don't think I've ever seen Denzel have a sex scene before. The only other time I can recall is in Mo Better Blues, which I watched. Yes. Like this, like yes. radicalized me to Denzel. I was like, I need more where he's not being like an action-y man. Yeah. And I was like, where can I get more? And I was like, let's see. And I was like, <laughs> let's watch some Spike Lee films. So I watched Mo Better Blues because it was like Denzel as a he jazz has, man. like mm. multiple. There's that one sequence where he's having sex with both women and it cuts back and forth between the two women because mm-hmm. he's he's kind of a dog. 
Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. I've only recently watched like Was a Devil in a Blue Dress? That one. Oh, I do. Mm. He has a sex scene in that one too. Yes. He does? Yeah. It's yeah. an illicit. Yeah. There's an illicit sex scene in there. Yeah. Let me rewatch it. He also wears <laughs> a lot of really wonderful like white tank tops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like guns out the whole time. Like, yeah. yeah, let me uh revisit. I think I watched that the same week. The I did Criterion, <laughs> Criterion <laughs> restoration of that is also really beautiful. It's the, okay. Yeah, actually, what it's supposed to look like. And okay, let me um let me re put let great, me put that back on my letterbox. Don Cheadle performance. Best one. He came in there, <laughs> shot so of everything, and left and dipped. And what was this? It was like what ten minutes yeah maybe 15 that's a movie that should have been a franchise like mm-hmm. there's mm. like 15 of those novels like what was hollywood doing mm. being dumb missed opportunities yeah. not taking advantage of no. what was right there in front of you. we should have had at least three yeah rollins movies with denzel why didn't we get those exactly um so after the scene after the, the big love scene um the the whole weekend is ruined because i guess her family friends like i don't know everybody's name i know it's a nil pontiac and napkin yeah um, napkin. <laughs> they're all in biloxi at the same time which i thought was weird because like did Anil just get married like he has a not what good is, what is he doing he is yeah well, I think the- yeah that's like there's a whole aspect where his wife is just like not getting yeah what she wanted from this marriage yeah like don't touch me (laughs) that's enough of that thank you so much and I feel like he used that later to like blame Jay and his family for just like ruining his life I was like that's not (laughs) I feel like that's not going to be solved by them leaving (laughs) Mississippi but Mm -mm. okay dude and um Mia and Demetrius get like in this huge fight I think with Anil and they end up getting arrested and that's when like everything falls apart um, and their like respective communities decide to just ostracize them and criticize them for literally everything, which is so weird because before that there had been like these really <laughs> awkward scenes of like napkin being like, "Hey, my brothers, y'all are great at sports. <laughs> We're both people of color. You know, let's stick together. Don't sue my boy for like fucking up your van yeah (laughs) i was like this is so awkward but this stuff happens so much like oh you guys are good at sports right like kareem abdul jabbar (laughs) i'm like oh god that's so that's so pulled from real life like i don't know it's Brittany. how you how you feel how did you feel about these these scenes these scenes of the like the switch of like you have brought immense shame. Both of you guys have brought immense shame yeah. to not only our family. Like, Mina, you have brought immense shame to me and your, well, me and your mother mm-hmm. um, for acting like this in public. I cannot <laughs> believe you have done this. And then mm-hmm. Demetrius, like, you have brought immense shame to the community as a whole because you have not been the ideal citizen mm. as a a reputable black man in this community like you had a pristine business you ran it really well and look what you're doing you're gallivanting in the streets of Biloxi like this how dare you like it was just a lot to take in like they have done nothing like they you have gotten arrested how dare you you're (laughs) consenting adults 
It's yeah. Like there's, they're not, they didn't cross state lines. None, none of them are underage. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? I think like it, the, the scene that got me the most was when his, a former fling Alicia slash Lachey was like, how dare you like date this Indian woman and you, you know, there's a, not a, there's like a endless supply of black women in, in the town and you're going to date this woman. I was like, you didn't even want him. Yeah. <laughs> like, every time. You he, dumped him. Yeah. Like you dumped him and then he kept call like kept coming around and then you kept ignoring him. So what was he supposed to do? Just pine after you forever. Like that was so ridiculous. I was like, why would you erase traitor now? Like that is so yeah, extreme. And this, is, this is interesting coming in like 90, 91 when, you know, interracial relationships were had been say okay for almost mm-hmm. thirty years at that point, but most of media focused on black and white relationships, right? And this was a an interracial relationship that there was no white person involved at all. Which, how many other movies even now can you think of that do that? Like, like not many. Um, there's one really small movie I like called Fits and Starts with mm-hmm. Wyatt Senna mm-hmm. and Greta Lee that movie like died on the vine it's on like 2b probably mm. but it's sweet it's a sweet romantic comedy um one of those all happens in one night kind of movies that's one of the few in the last you know 10 years that i can think of that really looks at interracial relationship not from a black and white perspective but literally anything else um i think in like 30 years there hasn't really even been that many still is bit. Yeah. weird if you look at the makeup of the country it's clearly not all black and white interracial relationships yeah i thought it was very like it just felt so representative so many things as like oh god like why are they getting on him for this because this is like one slip up and it's not even like his fault like why would you barge into their room yeah and then call that's, the cops on them that's that whole scene is, I remember the first time I watched it, it was very shocking that they would even, like, they didn't knock. They just, like, they just go in. And then they're like, oh, you're shameful because you're naked. And it's like, well, you didn't knock. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm in a room. Like, I was not expecting This is a, this is a motel. Like, <laughs> yeah. knock on the door. And in the uh, process of the arrest, they assumed Demetrius was the aggressor and mm-hmm. the arrest mina on suspicion of prostitution yeah that was a lot to take in like the first time i watched it i was like oh wow and no one like these are members of like these are her cousins like these are her family this is her community they don't try to protest they don't do anything they just let it happen Mm -hmm. um as a form of punishment because like this is embarrassing for them but like you you let this happen to someone. You don't you know. stand by your like that's your cousin, and you don't stand by her like you know her, but all of a sudden you don't know her. Yeah, like that. Like you could easily say like that's not something that she would do, and they just are like you've brought shame on us, so you can never see Demetrius ever again. And like she's like a like a sixteen year old mermaid. <laughs> when she's like she's a grown woman she's 24 and she's like i'm stuck here i can't go anywhere i can't do anything i've never asked you guys for anything but they're like nope you are done like she's basically treated like a child still which is so crazy and like 
you do know your daughter like why wouldn't you say like my daughter is not a sex worker like <laughs> yeah like uh, I don't it's very disappointing when stuff like that happens because you would think like your family that knows you and seen you grow up would be like this is obviously not right <laughs> this is obviously yeah, at, least, at least say face in public and then be like maybe shitty to you behind closed doors yeah but they don't but, even try to save face in public they just let her be publicly shamed it's yeah it's yeah. really awful yeah and the whole community kind of like ostracized them and they're all gossiping about them and she because she says she's in love with demetrius and he eventually like returns like the declaration after <laughs> some high-speed chases through mississippi um, but like the, the whole community kind of turning against them is kind of really not shocking, but just kind of like, like, wow, that really does happen, which is unfortunate and ridiculous. Um, and even like, <laughs> even some of the, the white, like hotel owners get involved and that's, yeah. they're so amused by it. I'm like, oh, gross. Like just entertainment for, for racists, which is not fun. Yeah. To realize um but I this I think was too is when they had the big confrontation like Jay and Demetrius um where I think Jay finally gets like a reality check of how the community has been treating black people even though like <laughs> and like in the eyes of like the white majority like they don't there's no difference really but I feel like they figured out that whiteness has a currency to it when you come to America. And so they kind of have this, they've like adopted like the Southern gentility of racism mm-hmm. um, without being overt until like after the whole arrest happens and then everybody's just like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Which is really unfortunate. Yeah. I think he doesn't, um, he doesn't see the equality that is between them in terms of, I like the word you use currency there of of who on the t- on the totem pole of of who the police are going to believe or anything mm-hmm. um he 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 doesn't see it partly because I think the communities are so insular they don't yeah. mix as much whereas Mina knows it mm-hmm. she, she's probably felt it more in her life especially because part of her life she had to she was in England and then America so she's seen white supremacy from two different perspectives mm-hmm. way more than her father has so I guess in closing, we can talk about like what movies that we recommend to go with this movie because obviously we all liked it. I'm assuming we all liked it. Um, so yeah, what movies do you guys like recommend? I had one. It's actually, I think it's her, I think it's Mira Nair's next movie, but it's one of her next movies, if not her next, next movie. But it also has uh, Sarita in it. It's called Kama Sutra, A Tale of Love. And it's 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 an erotic film it is a film that is very hot actually and um it's her and naveen andrews and i forget the third the second woman but a lot of hot hot bodies in this movie but it's it's if you read a lot of contemporary reviews it, it was written as if it were sexist as if it was two women pitted against each other but if you actually watch the film nair is trying to break down this like women competing each other with each other thing it's it very much is more about like women coming into term into their own control of their own sexuality and being sort of nourished in friendship as opposed to the competition for men 
using the Kama Sutra and, and, and true stories. And um, it's very much like a tale. I think it got banned in India. <laughs> so, oh, really? <laughs> it is very, it is it's very tastefully shot, but very sexy movie. Um, and it was one where I was afraid to watch it because I'd heard bad things. I'd heard it wasn't very respectful to women, all kinds of stuff, which I thought was weird because, like, Mira Nair is a woman. And then I watched it, and I was like, this is really good. This is way better, way better than you would expect from how it was reviewed. But, again, it was mostly reviewed by white men who didn't know what Mira Nair was even trying to do with this um, story and with the women and it's it's just a, it's a fascinating film I think very feminist but also just incredibly erotic so I think I have it in my um letterbox queue so I definitely need to revisit I don't know if it's available visit. anymore I'm not even I, I can't even remember how I watched it I think I rented it literally from a video rental store that's how I watched it yeah I think um, you can you can rent it I mean, oh good you can oh, good. rent it on like YouTube and Apple and all those so thank goodness that's good, that's good um but yeah I should do that soon before they like snatch it yeah where they take it away <laughs> but it was it's one of the ones where she wrote directed and came up with the story so it's like very much her her movie like it is inspired by the Kama Sutra and by other stories revolving because it's set in the 16th century um it's a story she grew up with but it is very much her take on it mm. modern take on the past at one point it was on Tubi, so maybe oh. one one time maybe Tubi will get it back again. our best friend Tubi, maybe one day we will Tubi have really Tubi. is the like video store of streaming services it is crazy like, i love Tubi. <laughs> it is crazy the things that we have found on there because sometimes i'm just like i cannot find this movie anywhere and then let me hit up Tubi, and of course it's right there next to some like crazy movie shot on like <laughs> an iphone 8 or whatever yeah <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get yeah so Brittany, what was your recommendation if you have one um i recommend everybody stick with like visiting young denzel mm-hmm. so i'm gonna go with mo better blues um because that was where my mind was when I was watching Mississippi Masala for the first time, I was like, okay, we got to continue this street. Um, at <laughs> this time, the film might still be available on like Peacock, I think, because Peacock has a lot of Spike Lee's works um, mm-hmm. that are kind of hard to find because you can't find like Crooklyn everywhere. Um, yeah. oh and that's my, my favorite Spike Lee movie. Crooklyn is so good. That's, I think Kirkland is so good because Joy Lee had so much of, or is it Joy? I've heard it, I I've seen Joy. it written both ways. Joey? It's or... either Joy or it's Joy, but because um, it's like Joy de Vive is what I read from, mm. in one write-up about her. And I was like, what? So now I have to hear her <laughs> say it because I would never have said Joy until I read that. But um, I think it's so, it's so strongly her point of view mm-hmm. channeled through Spike's you know, filmmaking prowess. Mm-hmm. I love Kirkland. I hadn't seen that until a couple months ago, and I was like, "Why had I never seen this movie?" It's good. Such a departure from oh, like good. everything else that he's done, and it's definitely about yeah. like their childhood. It's just so good. It's a great that was film. another hard movie to find because I think we we watched that one last year, and I feel like we both had to watch it on like YouTube or I something. Think so. That one and um, Claudine, like we have been <laughs> in oh, the trenches yeah. for watching. Claudine's movies. on Criterion now, though, so mm-hmm. that's yeah. The, cri- the Criterion restoration of Claudine is beautiful. 
Yeah, because it was that movie was great. That was definitely a hard one. <laughs> I remember she was on, Diane Carroll was on, of all things. Um, uh, shoot, what was it called? Um, it was a USA show with Matt Bomer where he was like a oh, um, of whatever blue collar, blue collar, yeah. <laughs> So she was his landlord and I didn't know who she was. And my mom was like, you don't know who Diane Carroll is. And I'm like, mom, it is your job to teach me about people who were popular before I was born. Um, but then I, you know, I started catching up and Claudine was the hardest one to find. Yeah. And then Criterion put it out. And so that's how I finally got to see it. Yeah. I think we watched it before, like February last year. So it was like maybe right before they ended up putting it out. Which yeah. I was like, Thank God. Because like, that was Oh, it was Diane Carroll. It really is one of the hottest people who's ever existed. Yes, a diva, uh, gorgeous lady, a legend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my I'm gonna just say Bend It Like Beckham. I think that's gonna be my recommendation. Um, I, love, I, I love that movie. I have that movie on DVD. I watch it quite often. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see like that story being kind of told in a, not a different perspective, but maybe just like from a British Indian perspective instead mm-hmm. of like from a Indian American kind of perspective. Cause I know there's like, it's her dad was in Kenya. I know there's like a large, like um, Indian population in London. So like, there's kind of, it's a little different from like Greenwood, Mississippi, cause it's a way bigger, a way bigger uh, city, a lot more re- like resources and things, but it's kind of interesting, especially since there's like a lot of famous people whose parents are from Kenya, like Dev Patel's parents are yeah. from Kenya. Yeah. And um, I just found this out like today, I knew she was part Indian, like her mother's Indian, but Charlie XCX's mother is from Uganda. Which I had no idea. I knew she was Indian, but had no idea. So if you're a Charlie XCX fan, listening to this, um, yeah, that's also part of her history, which is kind of crazy. I didn't know that either. Wow. Yeah, she's talked about it a little bit, but um, yeah, her mom is Indian. Her father's Scottish, I think. Um, but yeah, that's my pick. Uh, great movie. Everybody should watch it. I think they're making a musical out of it. Oh, are they? Wow. Yeah, I don't know why they make musicals out of, out of these movies because we were just talking about the Mean Girls musical the other day. And I just don't understand the appeal. Like, I love a musical, but not a musical based off of a movie. I feel like it's kind of, that wasn't a musical. I feel yeah. like it's kind of silly. <laughs> Very silly. I, I don't know uh, how it's going to get off the ground, but hopefully it's f- successful uh, so Gurinder can make another movie, but... I also love Blinded by the Light for like Bruce Springsteen fan movie. Have you seen that? I don't think so. It came out, I think, 2019 and it's set in the 80s. It's set in like Thatcher hmm. era England. And it's based on a true story about a kid who like he was born in England, but his parents had immigrated and oh, miserable. Yeah. And then he finds Springsteen and like that's what gives him confidence in life <laughs> as a, as a big Springsteen fan I was like I feel seen okay I feel like I remember hearing about this but it sounds very close to that uh it's a sweet film that Beatles movie what was the Beatles movie where he oh was... yeah it came out that same year um, yeah where the guy like is the only one that remembers the Beatles yeah yesterday yeah 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 yesterday I didn't forget isn't the guy in that movie Indian or no I think so yeah, so maybe I was like conflating the two. 
I, I feel like that happened a lot. Blind of the Light is really good. And you don't have to be a Springsteen fan to relate to like falling in love with something. As a Tumblr person, I'm sure you had many fandoms <laughs> in your life that like Too helped many. fill a void at some point. That's really <laughs> what the movie's about is how a, a devoted fandom of something can help you grow as a person or keep you afloat but that you shouldn't get too attached to it because that can keep you if you're too obsessed it, it as a, i felt like that was one of those movies the guy's story predates tumblr but like that man would have loved tumblr um, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> already i think you watched yesterday didn't you uh i don't think so no i, I watched think... the what other movie um <laughs> blinded by the light the... or something the Beatles musical, but not those. Which Beatles musical? The documentary? The uh-uh. Apple one? Or not the Apple Oh, yeah. I've watched one? some of that. The other one. Which musical? Oh, um, Across the Universe? Yes, that one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I love Across the Universe. That's, that's a wacky movie. I was like, mm-hmm. wait, I was like, you're going to see Hard, <laughs> hard Day's Night? What am I going to find out about Britney and her Beatles <laughs> stand up? <laughs> As we are wrapping up, um, if you can uh, impart some words of wisdom for upcoming uh, women creators, what mm. would they be? Oh, that's a great question. I think having interviewed a lot of women, what a lot of filmmakers in the last few years, I, this is a similar question I, I try to bring up when I can is like, what would you recommend? And really what I've heard the most is to find, find a community that will support you. Um, there's a great community in uh, LA and New York called the Film Fatales, and they have meetings where they talk through things and help each other find, you know, grant money and all kinds of stuff. But like having having that community there that will believe in you no matter what, have an infrastructure, help you find an infrastructure. Whenever you're having a, da- a dark moment where you, you know, imposter syndrome is coming in, your community comes in and says, "No, you focus. <laughs> you're getting this movie made. You're good. You're just as good as anybody else." So I I really think. Cause like the ideas are always going to come if you're a creative person and eventually you'll find the money. But if you have a community and an infrastructure or community that will help you get to the infrastructure, then you can get your film made and you'll have that confidence and you'll have that groundwork and you'll have the, someone like in a community like that, you'll say you have to film in Mississippi, right? They'll probably know someone who can like either get you a deal or put you up in a hotel room or put you in their you know guest room or whatever. And so I feel like having, Having a community is so important for so many different reasons. You might meet someone who knows someone who knows someone who's going to give you the money because they are a big UFO nerd or something, right? Um, so I would say my biggest my biggest piece of advice is to find that community and find those professional groups that will help you in the business side because the creative side, if you're a creator, you're you're that's coming to you. But the business side and that having that that structure and that background to help you keep going is the like secret no one tells you about i wouldn't say we're critics i don't know what we would call ourselves quite yet <laughs> but i know there's a lot of people who i feel like they're getting into criticism so any like sort of advice is really oh good. yeah wow this is a terrible <laughs> time to get paid for anything oh no so now i just want to put that straight because i don't want people to think they're gonna be making tons of money it's hard um but finding some someone that respects your voice is really mm. important i think um the only reason i was able to really trans transfer so seamlessly from working in marketing for so long to screen to film writing was um my old boss at Rotten Tomatoes when he found out I, I left he was like hey I, I know you love female directors you want to do something for movie phone at the time he was running movie phone what do you got and I was like here's my ideas 
So like finding, finding what your voice is, finding someone who understands your voice is the first key. The second key is then being able to get paid <laughs> and, and knowing, knowing what you're, what you're worth too. Like I had an outlet that was paying me at a certain rate and then they got bought by somebody and they were, they cut my rate by 90%. And I said, no, like, mm-hmm. I know what, I know what my worth is at other places. And I know what my bottom is. Sometimes there's a, um, a few sites that pay a little bit less, but they have really great editors. And it's like, well, I'd rather get paid a little less and have a good inter- editor, but I'm not going to be paid less at a place that doesn't edit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so like really understanding. Yeah, I guess one of the main things is having a an idea of how that infrastructure works. Because mm-hmm. I think we think of film as being very creative and it is, and we think of writing as being very creative and it is, but at the root of it all is these systems and these infrastructures that gatekeep for lack of a better word and trying to figure out how to navigate that is really important although if you can build you know a following anywhere on social you can then you know like launch a sub stack if you think you have enough people who are willing to shell out some money and then and then you don't have to deal with any of the gatekeepers mm-hmm. but now more people are doing that and so there's less money to be found there and it's like that's a whole thing but if, if, if you only want to do criticism because you love it and you're, you have a day job, then, then it really is finding your voice and finding someone that supports your voice. And at least you have the money income coming from somewhere else. But at the end of the day, the hardest thing is paying the bills <laughs> for like anybody. Um, like you see a lot of filmmakers who make films every four years and you're like, how do they pay the bills? The odds are they're teaching somewhere to pay the bills in between making movies. Like, you know, there's certain filmmakers who are at a level like Martin Scorsese does not need to teach. Spike <laughs> Lee, though, he's been teaching at um, NYU for 30 plus years, I think. Oh, really? Because he's got to pay the bills, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, it's that tension, both with filmmaking and with being a critic, is like that tension of like doing the fulfilling your voice, your vision, whatever it is, and being able to pay bills. It's just like, yeah, forever the struggle. Yeah. I feel like if you like it enough, you can continue. Like you don't have to lose that momentum, but it does have, it does always help to have like a little yeah. <laughs> safety and, net. And again, to have somebody, literally anybody <laughs> who you can be in like a group chat with, whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's making films or critiquing films, having a group chat that will not only support you, but be honest with you. If, if you're going to like, right. You like you're, maybe you're spitballing something and you're like, Hey, Am I going to get dragged <laughs> on Twitter? What do you think? Having someone who's going to be honest and say, you know what? Maybe don't write that. That's a really <laughs> important undervalued thing because mm-hmm. we were mm-hmm. talking about being the main character. Like sometimes you see something and you're like, you don't have anybody in your life who's telling you don't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's an important person to have is like someone, even if it's just one person that you're like, hey, can you look at this idea? And they're like, you know what? now is not the time for this that's really important (laughs) it's really important Uh I I mean like in art school right you said you went to art school Mm -hmm. yeah art school not everybody I went to art school also not everyone is great with their opinions but every once in a while you find somebody who you know if they tell you it's good you know it's good and if they tell you it's trash you got to keep working and like having that person is really important instead of because it's not about like you need confidence and you have to have confidence, but you have to have that, crit- that person that will help critique and make you better. 
mm-hmm. and whether that's a friend an editor that you trust like that is that is so invaluable yeah invaluable. critique critique is good critique is good yes critique is good that's how things get better and I <laughs> I I will be honest I hate being critiqued I was a terrible art student because I would get so angry in the room and then I would think about it and then I would come back to class like two days later and be like sorry I was a bitch you were right <laughs> <laughs> I worked I used I uh, whatever you said I, it took me a while to process it I think the scene is better now you know um so also like being humble if you are like me and someone who doesn't take criticism well yeah and then you do process it don't be afraid to be like sorry I was a bitch <laughs> you know because most people will forgive if mm-hmm. you tell them like I overreacted you were right that's good advice. <laughs> I hope all the people, all the baby critics that might be listening, take into account. And of course, we're going to continue with our our critiques um, for as long as we have this podcast and probably yeah. even after. <laughs> Just unprompted <laughs> and unpaid. <laughs> um, so yeah. So Mariah, where can people find you? Oh, wow. Well, Twitter is like nose diving, but I am still sometimes on Twitter, old film slicker. Um, and I'm basically old films flicker everywhere. So I still use Tumblr, <laughs> still use Tumblr, um, Instagram, Letterboxd, uh, sometimes Facebook, but not as not, not as much. That mm-hmm. was not really public. So it was like really Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Tumblr, mm-hmm. if you're a Tumblr person still. Yeah. And your Substack. And myself, oh shoot. I totally forgot. About it. <laughs> I only write on that like three times a week and I totally forgot about it. Um, yeah, I have the Substack where um, it's also old film slicker. Where on Fridays I write about, I try to do six to seven uh, recommendations of films directed by women. The goal is to pretty much equip people with a film a day for a whole year. Mm. There are the, the, there's still this myth that there aren't that many film films by women. It's bullshit. You could spend your entire life only watching films directed by women, and you wouldn't you would run out. You would never run out. Like there's so many. So mm-hmm. I do about six, six or seven, some new releases, some old releases. I tell you where to watch it, why I think it's interesting, why you might enjoy it. Um, and then I also occasionally write about silent films and things I'm reading and most recently UFOs because another thing that's missing from American cinema currently is UFO movies. And I saw that I one. I'm mad about that. <laughs> I, my dad just wanted to see a movie about aliens and we couldn't think of anything that he hadn't already seen that's mm. not okay mm. that's we need it we need ufos yeah we need a gone? lot of we a lot of the we need a lot of stuff honestly there's, there's <laughs> so many things that they used to make that they just don't anymore. They just don't make anymore so. yeah hopefully some beauty will come and fill the void i, I hope so yeah <laughs> I hope um so. Well, if you guys want to follow us, we are still on Twitter as well for as long as it's functioning. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. I don't know what's going on over there right now. Currently, who knows what's broken. Um, But we're at BLK Golf Film Club. We're on Instagram at Black Golf Film Club. Uh, you can email us. I love your Instagram, by the oh, way. Oh, thank Instagram you. Is lovely. It's one of my favorites. I'm oh, thanks. Thanks. I worked really hard on that. <laughs> it looks uh, really nice. Thank you. Um, we're at, um, at, you can email us at blackgirlfilmclub at gmail.com. You can visit our website. Uh, leave us a comment, blackgirlfilmclub.com. And where else are we? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, 
anything that you listen to we are there <laughs> somehow we are way. out here yeah any any podcast um platforms we're probably on there so um yeah thank you again to mariah for sitting with us and talking through this movie we had yeah. a lovely time this was so much fun i love this movie i hope everybody watches it many many times <laughs> watch this movie on the criterion channel the whole group of recommended films, I think, also would make a great weekend. Like, watch all four. You'd have a great weekend. Yeah, yeah. We'll be putting all the recommendations and uh, Where to Find Mariah and other movies that we mentioned during the show in, like, the show notes. So everybody has a nice, long stack to add to their uh, watch list. And let us know if you watch any of them. We'd love to hear it. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything else, Brittany? Did I miss anything? Did I forget something? No, I think we covered everything. (laughs) Okay, great. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. See you guys later. Bye. Bye.